just a baby, I'm just a baby boy I'm just a kid scared shitless of everything in the world Buildings stretch high, doors open wide like a giant stranger's arms My knee-jerk reaction to all of the flashing is crying and running home gonna do this one with a cat on my lap uh hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the waste books appendices um i think these appendices are getting out of hand i have all of a sudden become pretty obsessed with this and I'm interviewing and talking with a bunch of fucking people. And I'm kind of overwhelming the uh, waste books feed. So it's not making sense anymore. Pretty quickly. Uh, so kind of what we're thinking is uh, pretty soon just t- turning the waste books channel into a waste radio channel. Um. So it'll be like an open open platform for podcasts. Basically, how we treat the website, waste-division.org, with uh, other stuff, you know, as a website. So that's all to say we're going to launch it pretty soon here. And if you'd like to be on Waste Radio, uh, if you think you have a good idea for a podcast, do it up. And send it in. You can go to waste-division.org and submit it. Uh, we've got a search bar, or no, submission tab in our menu there. Um, yeah, so anyway, I mean, I'll, I'll label this one an appendix still because uh, we aren't quite ready for Waste Radio. I just want, like, a graphic, pretty much, before we do a full announcement and open thing of it. Um, but you heard it here. Uh, Waste Radio, check it out. Also, check out our Patreon if you are interested in that. Waste Radio, uh, we're hoping to have, you know, in a... Well, we're going to switch pod podcast platforms. We don't like Podbean a whole lot. Um, they don't allow you to expand that easily it seems like um so we're gonna be looking to switch over that's gonna cost some money um we're looking to kind of take a station role in this so we'll start with just an open feed of stuff that we put in there kind of by anybody um and then i was thinking it would be cool eventually to have you know options where if some somebody sends something in and it does really well and they want to turn it into a show oh excuse me we could turn it into a show and we'd say like hey okay we have a channel like if you want to take these pilots and fucking go here's a channel for your show um so that sounds kind of cool and then kind of treating waste radio as a incubator for people to try stuff up stuff out um also, Waste Radio is just nice because it's good in general. I don't have to pretend like these conversations have something to do with the books that we're reading. Even though often they do because that's what I'm thinking about. 
Um, yeah, so anyway, this one is an appendix. I'm, I think it's going to be appendix one zero one zero. Excuse me. Zero, appendix zero one zero. And maybe it'll be the last appendix of this kind where it's just free-ranging. We got to kind of reel them in. Um, okay, that's enough about appendixes, waste radio, Patreon, website. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty special appendix, uh, pretty special conversation with a special man, special human named Don Corcoran. Uh, he's kind of a prominent figure in the Billings area now. He's a businessman, family man, um... And he also has a very interesting past, you know, pretty much a chunk of life, about 15 years, spent, as he describes, uh, like in heavy use mode, in kind of, I guess, just addict mode. I saw Don at a story night here. We've talked about story night. Uh It's a local gathering we have at Montana Gallery where people just get together. And take turns telling stories, and it's turned into like kind of a thing. It's really cool. Don has been there a lot, and I haven't been to a ton of story nights, but I've been to a few, and I've seen him a couple times, and he's just a really, really amazing storyteller. I thought he had some background in comedy because of how well-structured his stuff was and how funny... A lot of his stuff, one of the stories was about, that I heard, was about his kids and how he tells uh, these hero stories to them. And in the story, one of the heroes um, had this, like, little implant box thing. And anyway, it the, the story was that Don was, like, taking care of, or, you know taking care of his kids, telling him bedtime stories, and he was putting a character that had this implant in there, and it was going to save the world. And it was him, and this implant was something in real life that he had had done uh, because he has a f- really gnarly form of blood cancer. Um, so, anyway... Um, Don came over to my house, and mm, hold on. Mm, okay, hold on. Okay, shit. Yeah. Um, this was a heavy episode. So Don has blood cancer. He came over. Um, and he he made time with like, just a few days. I just got a text from him today. He said that, uh, well, he's going to get a blood transplant, which is a possible cure. Uh, apparently, it's also a fairly risky procedure. So, uh, Don might not make it. But as it stands, Don doesn't have very much time anyway. Um, so, they're going to go for this, and hopefully it works out. I guess it's been uh, delayed for like a week or something, or maybe more. So... All to say, Don was going off to do this really important surgery, and 
he still set aside time to come talk to me. I'd been in touch with him for, I don't know, maybe a month or so. After reaching out, after I saw him a couple nights at story night, and I was just like, yeah, I got to fucking, like, record this guy talking. He's just an amazing talker. It seems to have a really amazing perspective, and, you know, there's some fucking shit going on here. So I, I call, called him or texted him, and we arranged a meeting, an initial meeting, just, you know, to kind of talk and see what I had in mind for the conversation. And apparently, you know, I didn't fuck it up, and he still wanted to come talk to me. So I invited him over to my house, and he came over. We had, like, a couple hours Um, in, you know, what could be some of the last days of Don's life, which is kind of fucking crazy and incredible and amazing um yeah this uh there's a lot of shit in here don has a like i said a long history of addiction it seems like that that lifestyle where he was living he says he models his life after the likes of rimpo or kerouac or any other of the kind of indulgent livers, the pleasure seekers, the mad ones, as Don calls them. He li- he lived like that for 15 years or so, and it seems like that may have triggered his, uh, the blood cancer he has, because it's really rare for somebody as young as him to contract, or to, to get that disease, or to get that type of cancer. Anyway, I thought that was interesting because Don just put fucking everything down on that kind of lifestyle. Um, and eventually, you know, after finding himself in jail for, I don't remember, the 10th time or something, he says, he just called it quits. He said, I'm fucking done with this. This has been like a wreck. And so he got sober for, he's been to- sober it's 10 years. And he's since become, also become like a, a man of faith. He's actually a fundamentalist Christian, um, so you should know that. It comes up much later in the conversation, which I think is cool. It's significant that we talked about so much other shit before we talked about that. Um, part of it is because Don keeps that pretty close, to that card pretty close, close to the chest. Not sure how people are going to take fundamental Christians. Um, not sure what you think of fundamental Christians, dear listener, but if you are interested in an amazing story, you know, regardless of whether the person is a fundamentalist Christian or whatever the fuck. Uh, you should listen to this anyway. Don has a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stories. He was very, very gracious and generous in letting us get into some gritty stuff. And, you know, at this point, I guess fucking he doesn't have, you know, he's seen a lot w- gone through a lot worse than just talking about stuff on a podcast but nonetheless you know i i think sometimes it's hard to talk about things and he was super open and honest with stuff and a um, couple times we got into topics that we weren't quite seeing eye to eye on but we still managed to talk about them i think in a productive way and um you know i think it's nice and valuable just to be able to have dialogue between groups that are usually considered super disparate or separated. So, 
yeah, great conversation for a lot of reasons. Um, meh, meh, meh. Yeah, I don't know. Fucking listen. Sorry for the long intro, but Don kind of deserves it and needs it. Um, I hope you like this. I, I encourage you to stick around for the whole conversation um, or listen to it in bits or whatever you do. Yeah. Thanks again, Don Corcoran, everybody. This is my conversation with Don Corcoran. Bye bye. Waste. 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 Books! <laughs> Appendix. What was the music that moved you as a young man to, to get you where you are now? Um, I don't know. It's always kind of fun to like trace back your. Like your roots to see where stuff sprung up, and so I always do that with music. Um, as far as like recorded music, there's like some Backstreet Boys. <laughs> when uh, it's funny because my parents were like into music. My mom liked music. My dad's actually kind of gone mostly deaf. He has um, hearing aids, but so music wasn't huge for him. He listened to the Eagles a decent amount, um, but I was captured by. Like, when I was really little, we got this live concert CD of the Backstreet Boys in the Burger King at uh, Minneapolis Airport. So that was kind of... Um, but anyway, yeah, and then, like, Blink-182 was another pop-punk band back in middle school that made me excited. Um, or the Red Hot Chili Peppers were another one later on. And then I kind of started listening to Eminem a little bit later on in high school and... Um, branching out, I'd have to like sit down and think about that a little more. But and now, what are your influences? Um, I I listen to like I'm kind of studying jazz, so that ends up being a thing that I when I'm listening to music, that's what I listen to. Um, so I'm listening for bass players like Ray Brown, um, do do do. Ron Carter is another one. It's kind of nerdy, like, music stuff. Like, um, not really... I mean, it was at one point pop music, right? Jazz was. But any more of their names that you have to be, like, kind of into it to know. But John Coltrane, that's, like, a jazz one that people know. Miles Davis is always good. Uh, Bill Evans. So kind of just standard jazz guys. Um, I listen to, like, a lot of hip-hop, I guess, is the other one. Some of it's dumb. I guess. <laughs> like what? G- give it like, to me. Give me the dumb. Like really poppy, like Cardi B. Have you ever heard her? She like raps about her pussy and stuff. And that's like kind of crude and basic, but it's also like her beats are really good. And she's got this attitude that's really cool. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of like all over the place, I guess. I mean, everybody kind of says that, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Backstreet Boys to <laughs> Cardi B. Yeah. There's some threads. Paul Train. There's. <laughs> totally. Yeah. What have you been listening to? It's funny. I don't... I listen to a lot of kids' music. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. got kids, so right. everything is... Um, in the most of my quiet time now, I, I read. So mm. so um, I've noticed that when I'm in the car, all the time is when you normally listen. And we're mm. always out, you know, with three kids. Sure. It's always It's always, uh, always trying to put something on that will keep them occupied. Right, right. And so... Um, but I grew up. I mean, I grew up on, you know, Johnny Cash and Charlie Pride, and yeah, and then you know a lot of, you know, Elvis, and you know, then went through the, 
my brothers were into Kiss and Super Tramp and mm. you know that that whole era and then very nice and you know got a pretty wide you know my brother was really into Foreigner and then came the uh, the metal in the eighties okay so my you were in were, on that a little bit I listened well yeah I listened to what my brothers did and they were always older and I remember the first time Quiet Riot my brother put me in the back seat of his car and cranked that up until my ears about bled and yeah yeah so you know went through all of all of the everything that was the 80s but then <laughs> mostly you know that was the mtv era yeah yeah and yeah. that was yeah and so um i just kind of listened to whatever my friends you know were listening to and trying to sure. find new stuff but but yeah so then of course you know i, I get really well you know in my 20s, I got really into um, kind of music to me at that time was kind of, I was reading a lot of, you know, the beatniks and... Yeah, yeah. And so then I got into a lot of, I was just really kind of immersed into the 60s music and kind of, I had my, my own 45 and record player and would go get, you know, all the Doors albums and Beatles and yeah, yeah. kind of wanted to journey through it like people did you know, at the time. Oh, yeah. Because I thought, oh, I'll just discover this whole thing I knew nothing about and right. in my youth. So so I spent a lot of time in that. Um, and then, you know, just kind of moved into, shoot, after that, I guess it was a lot of the the country music. <laughs> Got oh? into a, yeah, was John Denver, Garth Brooks, different well, things. And when I travel, were that way. And then if I was in the city, yeah. it was... I was driving on the interstate, you know, if I was on the interstate, I wanted John Denver or Garth Brooks, but if I was in L.A., I wanted Rage Against the Machine and something yeah, I yeah. could really get in and out of traffic with, yeah, you know, yeah, some yeah. Tupac, something. <laughs> so just, you know, I think it depends on where I was. Sure. To, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So I was thinking when we were talking the first time, you mentioned um, Michelle Foucault and... Mm. And so I was interested in your thoughts there mm -hmm. because for me, um, I didn't, I don't, I'm not too familiar. I have a, a little base understanding, but I was kind of, I guess in that same, that same time in my twenties, I really got into some of the French poets and, yeah. and so I was more on, on that than the philosophy side, right. but you know, Baudelaire and Rimbaud and sure. into derangement of the senses and, yeah. and you know, the, oh, yeah. the drunken be drunken always. That is the thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. With with what was it with poetry or with wine poetry or virtue? Be drunken always. You know. <laughs> so I was really into into William Blake and yeah, yeah. Nietzsche and all of those oh, kind of hell yeah were yeah. the things that I was in, and that kind of led me into some of the some of the music of that time when mm. I was looking into a lot of the kind of sixties rock and roll and some of their. Some guys were heavily influenced there, so they kind of intertwined. But when you mentioned Foucault, I was like, well, I'd like to hear about it. So yeah, yeah. give me a little bit about the um, madness. Yeah, the madness. So I am not a Foucault authority, but I could like tell you what I know about him and what I like about what I think I understand is like, so his thing is power, right? Um, for a lot of it. And he talks about training um, he's kind of neo Nietzschean. I think he even calls himself that at some point. So he, he's got this idea that, let's see, where to start?
So Foucault looks at like how power structures work, I guess. And like as humans and as social creatures, like power structures heavily influence like how we move through the world. So I'm pretty fascinated by that on a basic level. Um, What he says about it ends up like flipping what we think a lot of the time. Um, Like Foucault, he was way into like BDSM and stuff, actually. He was kind of a kink and a freak in those ways. And um, so it makes sense that he wrote about philosophy of power, too, because those are power exercises and stuff. Um, But he does things just like point out how the underclass in a power in a power dynamic participates in the power dynamic for example so usually when we talk about power we think about like one person having power over another um but he points out like the complicated ways that like an underclass person plays into the dynamic themselves and i think that does a lot for like reworking how we come at situations where we feel victimized or something where instead of um, like if something happens to you, instead of taking the track, like, Oh, this happened to me and then taking a passive thing with it, you see like, Oh, how did I put myself in the position where that happened to me? And um, so I guess I'm just like attracted to thinkers that like, you know, make us step back and like, look at, ever like bigger problems. Um, and he did that. So I don't know if there's anything there that you like that is, it makes sense even, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. And yeah. like I said, Foucault is not someone that I've spent. I knew, I know generally in, in of Derrida and Foucault mm-hmm. and some of the, some yeah. of those thinkers, yeah, yeah. but, um, never spent the time to, to dive deep into it, but sure. it was definitely, Definitely curious, you know, when you mentioned that was something you were interested in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, uh, and then I noticed, you know, I knew he went into some pretty had a decadent lifestyle and yeah, chased a lot of things. It, in that in that vein, I could I could yeah relate yeah. because you know I grew up you know very conservative in small private schools and right in in very you know, what people would probably consider very sheltered. Mm. And then, you know, there was some fracturing things that I think got me to uh, explore other other things. But I went through, I, I fully invested in in that derangement of the senses that Rambo talked about. And I went into, you know, um, years of, you know, a kind of a mixture, I suppose, of, you know, a lot of those influences of Kerouac, I did a lot of, a lot of hitching and mm. back and forth, but I did it the right way because I had, I knew I had access to big rig trucks, so most of it was oh. the, most of it was with strangers, but in trucks that I knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, chasing, a yeah, a little closer. Yeah. There we go. So I noticed that he did, you know, he had a, you know, he he chased a lot of things. And and I thought, ah, oh, I saw a similarity there as far as is a path that I took of, uh, you know. Decadence. Uh, and yeah, and the, 
pleasure. You know, like Blake, Blake was an influence on me. The Doors of Perception. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and specifically the Road of Excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom. Yep, yep, yep. And so I I I grabbed a hold of that, and you know the uh, I traveled a lot, and the, remember you know crowds. Baudelaire when he talks about you know the ability to to people your solitude and to be alone in a busy crowd. Mm. And so I took snippets of that and I think kind of tucked it into, you know, my constructed belief system of the time. Mm. So, um, and then I was, Kerouac was an influence too. So, you know, I loved, you know, the, I considered myself a mad one mm. and, you know, so I, I, I shambled after the mad ones too. And so I spent a lot of time that way, a lot of time in, uh, excess and, mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of time chasing, you know, whatever the, what did Basho say? It's not the, I don't seek to follow in the footsteps of those who went before me. I seek what they sought. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was, I was chasing after what, what they were, but they all seemed to die r- rather young. And, yeah. and, and, and so, um, Kerouac in particular is one where he had like a soft an esophagus rupture after Drinking like a gallon of whiskey every yeah. day at the end of his life, or yeah, in his mom's basement. Yeah, I very. Think. Yeah, really bad. He was forty-eight, I think. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but yeah, his 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 prose was revolutionary and yeah. it was fantastic. But so sad that the the bottle, man. That you know, that's the same thing. Yeah. You know, say with with Morrison, it wasn't the drugs as much as it was. Mm. I mean, they all had a part, but the the liquor was, mm. and I think that was kind of. What I was drawn to eventually the most was the booze. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I did all of it, but like booze was the probably one of the most destructive factors for me because I, I, uh, I was, I made it a profession. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So what were we about to say? Well, I'm, I'm getting like a better and better sense of like your kind of path, I guess. And like we met before and talked, just sort of chatted about stuff. Um, you were in L.A. for a time. Yeah, and. So you were about how old when you were doing kind of this hipster shit? Well, I I went was to... Was it all along or... Well, when I was 19, I went out to... I was in Virginia, so probably about t- when I was 20. Yeah. Started right there so through my 20s and all the way into my mid-30s. Okay. Yeah, so um, it was quite a, quite a long time, but the 20s is when I really was exploring most of what we just spoke on. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I went to... High school in Virginia, I lived here in Billings, but, you know, ended up having an opportunity on 24 hours notice to move to Virginia to go to school. Oh, okay. Which I later started to put together. I don't know how much of an opportunity that was or how much of that was a get out. (laughs) (laughs) So I got shipped out. And um, Uh and so once once I was there, it gave me kind of a landing spot because I was in you know, grew up in, in, in Montana and Billings. And, mm-hmm. and so it gave me a place to kind of travel to once I came back after high school and college. Mm. And so um, I played a, a year of college soccer there and kind of pursued, I was an athlete and uh, was playing division one college soccer, but I was exploring at that time to really started to kind of get into, into, you know, excess and it just mm-hmm. didn't work to be a college athlete and to be a, part of your yeah, yeah they just didn't go together so I, I grew my hair long and put the thumb out and started to kind of go back and forth between the two oh, okay. and then I moved 
I had a friend that was going out to LA, so I moved out there for a little while, and I just never landed long. I was. Were you working odd jobs? I or? would pick up stuff from wherever yeah. I would get. Yeah, Hitchhiking. Yeah, I would go some, and yeah. I'd, a buddy would have some kind of construction deal or something, and I, mm-hmm. I would always. I kept very little. Because yeah. I just couldn't be responsible for anything other than some clothes, sure. and you know, and so, um, and I just, yeah, I just kind of went couch to couch or house wherever, and yeah. and you know, through that time, I realized I, I looked back once and realized, I mean, I was moving like four times a year. I, yeah. I never stuck anywhere. I was just, huh. I'd be somewhere for three, four months and then gone, yeah, and then somewhere else, and so, and then when then when I got to L.A. and. Had, so I could bounce between back to Montana and then a friend in Seattle and moved out there. Yeah, and yeah. So now I had multiple, I kind of, you Whole know, circuit. Yeah. I'd be in one place until it was time to move for something else. And then I would chase after something else. And right. it just became that for most of my twenties. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A so book you... in a backpack. <laughs> Sorry. I had, a, I was a book in a backpack yeah, and that yeah. was kind of, you know, yeah, what I yeah. did. Yeah. Um, right. Were you writing or? Like, I was. You, yeah. I was, and it was terrible. <laughs> I remember I, some of the, yeah, I, I, I look back, I'm like, I wonder where, where those, that writing went because, but at that time I didn't have a whole lot of experience. Like I needed to, I, I felt like I needed to experience some life before I had anything to really write about. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's what my quest was at the time. Sure. And so I wrote some stuff, and it was, and I, and I, I knew it was, was not so good. So I would kind of ditch it. Some mm-hmm. of it I'd keep, and but it was a process. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, um, but then you know I realized I'm more of a spoken word artist that mm. than I am a, I do write. True. But um, I feel my best way is communication with with groups. Yeah. Which I found you know years later. Mm. But so I kind of, you know, I had a friend over yesterday that's oh, a writer and we were discussing it. And I'm like, well, I, I kind of write, like I write yeah. all bunches up down, but then I work things in my head and then say it. And then, and then it's really, yeah, it's worked. But, um, right. but so I, I do write, but, but I, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good opportunity to kind of like introduce you on this anyway. Um, like I asked you to sit down if you'd be interested in talking after seeing you a couple times at the story night, right? And um, I just found you to be an amazing storyteller, speaker. Um, I thought you had, like, a history in comedy because of how you structured your stories. It seemed like a comedic thing. Um, but that whole thing about, like, being able to talk is really special and, like, a cool communication thing so i just wanted to like sit down with you and get it on the record you know yeah um, so thank you for coming to my house and um hanging out a little bit yeah thanks for thanks for having me yeah um it's interesting that that's where it ended yeah up is being speaking because i was terrified to speak in front of people i was in a a small private school where i had three kids in a, in in a class and you would sit next to each other and talk your friends you're in all these classes together and i remember the first time you know, and our teacher was in front and he would, you know, ask us questions or whatever. But he one day said, as I was responding, he said, stand up. Yeah. I think we'd read something oh. he wanted to hear. And he, he right where I was, right where I was sitting yeah. with the same people that I'm with every day. And just yeah. the, 
just standing up. Yeah. Like I turned beet red. Yeah. And I remember being terrified. Yeah. yeah. Like I could sit and talk with them in the same. And, and so that's a very, very interesting thing with public speaking because yeah. it's terrifying for most people. Yeah. And it was for me. And then yeah. I think through the years, I realized I had to break it because of the people that, um, that I looked, you know, looked up to or, or, or wanted to model after mm-hmm. or, or, you know, were people that usually were communicators. Mm-hmm. And so I had to face that fear of getting in front of people and, and doing it. So, right. Um, so I actually would get really drunk and go audition for something terribly. Oh, sure. Right. <laughs> audition for some play. That's great. <laughs> and have no concept of what the show was or what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and, yeah. But it was, you know, my first uh, <laughs> attempts at, at pushing myself into a place sure. that was uncomfortable. So yeah. I'd have to... I knew that I was competitive enough as an athlete. Uh-huh. But if I put myself in a situation where I had to... You know that I, I would look, I would figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had to break through the. I mean, a, a real deep fear of public speaking being in front of people. Yeah. Like I would, it was I would shake and turn. Yeah. You know, so um, that was the start all those years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have that too. It sucks too. Even now, like I play music and shit out, and I shake or sometimes or I I guess now I have like kind of a Zen practice where I kind of go through the motions getting ready before a gig or whatever and that helps center me but i still like can't really think about it or else i feel like i'm gonna die yeah and that's like definitely a thing i remember in class i remember one thing that was interesting for me is i always really liked reading um i just remember this actually like reading books out loud we go around the class and like read a paragraph or whatever um, and I was like that because I was in some plays and stuff growing up and um, I liked reading or whatever. But then in college, I started taking writing classes and there was one where it's a nonfiction writing class. So I was telling a story that I'd uh, reading a story aloud that I'd written for the workshop. I think we would pick a page out and just read it so that we could get a sense of what it's like to do a reading and whatever. Um, but I would just get terrified like normally I'd be really good at reading somebody else's stuff, but when it was my stuff, I like there was all this pressure on myself to like make it come out a certain way, or I don't know if I probably just felt insecure with it in general, and so. Um, but that's kind of funny. Like even in that sense, like stepping out that way is different. Like, right? You, even you, like just answering a question or standing up and reading in class. Like that was a one little thing that changed it into being terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just uh, two foot, three feet. Yeah, just standing up yeah. in, in front of people that you're with every single day. Right. So I, I've always remembered that. So you know, I work with my kids, and uh-huh. and sometimes I'll you know I'll have opportunities to teach, and I always get get um, people up, no matter yeah. if it's if it, oh. if they're you know. Um, junior high, high school or adults or when I worked, you know, consulting, you know, leadership consulting, work with businesses, I would do, I I would always get people up and yeah, try yeah. to get, try to get them up to speak as much as possible because yeah. it's, I realize once you break that, it's a, it's a big power. Right, right. And, and the ones that struggle with it, I, you know, when I talk to them on the side, I'm like, read out loud. Mm. Like when you read, stand up and read. Mm-hmm. And, and when you do that, it'll make it a lot easier when you, when you public speak. Mm-hmm. And so... Right. There's, I, I learned, I learned through much fear 
right. You know, um, right. being very, very terrified of a, a crowd, but also being so drawn to know that that's where I was supposed to be to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was very weird because I didn't, you know, as an athlete playing, you know, I always wanted the ball and sure. I wanted to beat the free throw line. Right. With a second left. And it was, I had that kind of thing was fine being in front of crowds. But yeah, yeah. So, but when it was speaking, it was different. Right. And so that's definitely, uh, it's, 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 uh, it, for me, it took, it took years. Right. Yeah. yeah. And some booze and stuff. Yes. And they don't mix too well because there was times where, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where I did, uh, I was doing Pride and Prejudice and it was at a, oh man, I'm going to help myself. But, oh man, I, I shouldn't do this at Billing Studio mm. Theater. Yeah, please. And, um, <laughs> uh, and so, <laughs> so, <laughs> I was dabbling at that time and always in anything I could. So mm-hmm. if there was two or three or four or five different kind of drugs and psychedelics or whatever, I'd take whatever. Yeah. And in yeah. this particular night, you know, we're out drinking and, 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 all right, I think that was in my non booze time. I, I quit drinking and just was exclusive to, sure, to, to, um, to other ways to derange. Like a true addict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, at that, so we, we ended up doing, um, some ecstasy that night. Oh, wow. And I was, uh, and I remember thinking I have a show the next day, but yeah. it's two in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. And you got like, easy, like yeah. not a problem. Cause it was a matinee. And, um, <laughs> so, uh, I can't say a name either because yeah. prominent businessman, <laughs> I'm not going to out my friend, but we were at his place. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, it ended up. I remember listening to to George Jones deep into the night. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and uh, why George Jones that night? But it was it was we he had lured us in, and so um, you know, I was up and I remember looking at the clock and I'd said you know, but it was like five or six o'clock and I fell asleep and I woke up and I look oh, and it was two o'clock. Yeah, and I remember showtime. I remember I just I looked at the clock and. And I could only say one thing. And I looked at the clock and said, it's 2 o'clock. It's 2 o'clock. It's 2 o'clock. And I just kept repeating it. And my <laughs> friend, he's like, he wakes up. He's like, what? And he's like, it's 2 o'clock. It's 2 o'clock. He's like, you got a show. And I just kept going, it's 2 o'clock. Like, it's, it starts at 2. So we were luckily like three blocks away. Yeah, yeah. And so we raced there. And I run through the back. Now, you... <laughs> It's the worst thing you could ever do as an artist to other people. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have all these people that have worked so hard. Right. And they're there ready. There's a crowd sitting. And I oh, knew God. when I pulled up that yeah. there was nobody walking in and the, and, and, and the parking lot was full. So which was meant everybody. that everybody was inside yeah. waiting. Yeah, yeah. And I was the lead. And I was <laughs> oh, like, you were? Oh, Did man. you start it out too? And so um, I, don't, I think I was in the first scene. I yeah. can't remember now. And I just remember I came through that back door and people were, you know, they must have been just ready to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, just be quiet, be quiet. It's just like, don't, because people are, you know, in my, I'm like, just let me, I, I knew what I did. Just let me get in costume and on stage as quick yeah. as possible. Yeah, yeah. So we'll deal with, you know, the tongue lashes later. <laughs> and so I, I, I got on stage and then I realized I miscalculated and forgot that one of the things, at least for me, I don't know if it's for everyone, but when when I would do ecstasy the next day, like my memory was was not so good. Oh, I'm, and, yeah. And so, and you never think of it unless you're doing 
lines in things it's on that demand. need on-demand memory in front of a crowd. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden I was like, oh, so I'm I'm opening up my script and I'm looking and when I got out there, I would just forget and then oh. I'd have to kind of regroup. Luckily, you know, <laughs> l- luckily the, you know, character, it, it, the stiffness and yeah. in, in the, in the, all of that kind of worked with sure. the character. What was the play? Um, it was Pride and Prejudice. Oh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. 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 And, um, <laughs> so it, it the, all of that kind of fit, you know, but, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember I would go off and, and then come back and grab my script because I just could not, I couldn't remember. It was just going. And then all, in, in, in that play, the, the scenes were all the same yeah. with the same people. Like there was no different locations. So every scene in the middle of it could feel like a different one. Right. And so it was harder to have a memory. Right, so anyways, right, we right. Uh, did the show and then I had another show at eight that night. Yeah. And oh, it was brutal, man. Yeah. So do not. Don't do ecstasy do the day that. before performances. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't. Yeah. That was, a, that was bad. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, I don't, um, now, as a musician, it's a little different. Yeah. But um, right. as an actor, no, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> so you have a a big history, like, w- with drugs and stuff, and you're pretty open about talking about it. And, right, at one of these story nights, you talked about another one of, like, very elaborate problem that you managed to construct for yourself through drinking <laughs> Where you were had these etch a sketch moments through this, you were out drinking one night and um, yes, you had like four, three or four episodes essentially, like in one go. Yes, where you were out in a park and you were running from cops. And yeah, you don't need to go through the whole thing, but I I really appreciate it because, like I think I said to you before, it's really fun to see somebody who's like r- really smart seems like, and then putting that person into these really dumbass situations and then watching them apply their really smart problem solving skills, which, and I mean really smart in like quotes kind of, because there's like a fundamental mistake that gets made where it doesn't matter what you do afterward. Like you're just kind of fucked. Yes. But then to see like how people, cause you squirm out of a lot of shit in that. Like, <laughs> um, well, I broke, I broke into my neighbor's house. That, so that yes. was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, breaking and entering into your neighbor's house. Thinking it was yours. Thinking it was mine. Yeah. And, um, yes, being drunk. And I would lose time. And, and the thing is, and I noticed I did, I would lose time with kind of, especially when I was angry. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was, I mean, it would just, I would forget pieces, but I didn't black out. Like, I was very able to... You know, like it—it it wasn't blackout drunk. Like I'd pass out. I would just forget things that happened, pieces of the night. Um, but I would remember other pieces absolutely, totally clear. And then I would lose 15 minutes, and then absolutely clear. And so that particular night, yes, I—I—I yeah. I, I, I miscalculated by one building, and I locked myself out, and I was very upset. And yeah, I kicked the door in, and then realized it was in my neighbor's. <laughs> <laughs> apartment and then I ran and then I had an episode of forgetting why I was running and I took a little nap in a ballpark and I woke up and thought why am I why don't I just go kick my door in yeah and so then I went back and he was there and <laughs> I had a good conversation with him about how likely it was that somebody in the neighborhood did it because I <laughs> was unaware that it was me at the moment I was speaking to him and yeah yeah, yeah. had that good conversation it's probably someone that lives around here and right and then of course after we 
after I left, I realized it was me, and so I was running again. So yes, that was <laughs> that was one of those stories that my friends always want me to tell. And yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah, yes. But you're pretty shameless about it, or I I don't know. Um, like most people don't want to talk about their dumb days. Oh, I have had so many. It's, yeah, it was a large swath of my life. Right. Um, because you're kind of family man now like proper yeah. citizen or something like that would you say or yeah i have three kids and yeah. a wife and i'm you know i've been clean sober for 10 years yeah and i live a definitely a different lifestyle than i did then yeah and so i do i'm open about it but it's not there would be a time where i would tell those stories where maybe there was i would be maybe proud of it and uh, now it's not that at all yeah. it's like they're you know the stories of that time now to me have a they have a darkness, but really a sadness, a deep sadness, because mm. the things I was seeking for, I wasn't finding. Yeah. And so they're funny, you know, and they're situational funny. And, you know, when you have, you know, the fire department in your apartment and you don't know the next day people are telling you and you realize, you know, you missed that part where they kind of broke in the door and came in and put out a fire you mm. started and then left mm. and you don't even recall it. Holy shit. Yeah. You're like, oh, um, they're funny, but um, it was just pretty you know, fucked up too. Yeah, the road the the road of excess does not lead to the palace of wisdom, mm. and and it it led me to you know, and and sadly because of that, friends of that time, you know, my best friend uh, died recently about a year, a little over a year ago now, mm. and it's from you know consumption, just drinking. Mm. He could he never got out, and he ended up you know drinking and and to the point where it took his mind, which yeah. he was a, an intellectual. And even though he was an athlete and like a, a brawler and a fighter, he was super smart. Mm -hmm. And, and um, he, um, he, you could see his brain start to deteriorate mm -hmm. where he couldn't communicate the way he did, but he ended up falling down, mm -hmm. hitting oh, his head shit. and dying. Dang. And I told him right when before. He was drunk or something. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. He was. And I told him right before we, we were friends for, Oh man. 20 some years, 25 years. And he was a guy that always would, he, I had a night where it was the way we met. Like I knew him like through family, like he, his family, his dad was a, uh, a Baptist pastor and mm -hmm. we were at a Baptist church. And, and, and so sometimes we would play games against these basketball games or something. Mm -hmm. So I knew who he was, but, um, he was kind of one of those where you kind of would tip, you know, like you knew, but you never really had, you didn't really have a friendship. Sure. And so I'd grown my hair out really long. And back in the 90s, you know, when you walk into a Montana bar, it was very different. It was very a violent culture and an agreed upon mm. violent culture that was just normal. Mm. Like there was fights all the time. Mm. And, and the bouncers were basically, you know, there to be referees. They weren't to stop the fight. They would get you over off property or in a certain spot and they would let it go and they'd break it up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they just kind of let it work its way out. Right. <laughs> and so it was, you know, a, a really a, a fight culture. I mean, friends that were, you know, literally in hundreds of fights. Mm. And so it was just Dang. common. It was like every night there was... And so... But this was... I had stepped into that and I was very conservative growing up and never went out and never went to the high school parties and all that. And oh. so then I'd grow my hair out long. And, and so when I'd walk into a, you know, a Montana bar, it was, you know, I was an easy target, especially when there was, when you're 155 pounds and, yeah. and, and, you know, at that time there was probably five to one guy, girl ratio. So sure. 
there was nothing else to do but drink whiskey and, and pick fight. On other, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, anyways, um, I was I was I was at the uh, the way we met Steve uh, Steve Pearson. He um, we were, I was at the uh, I was at the bar and a friend, uh, some, someone from the high school. I went to I went to Catholic school. I went to to um, Central for a year and. Since I was the new guy there, I didn't make, you know, I made some enemies and some friends. But mm. the, this particular night, some these guys came in a group and there was a bunch of them. And mm-hmm. They would always get in a group and I was always kind of by myself. Mm. Or I'd have one friend that didn't fight and there'd be six or seven of them. And yeah, this yeah. was one of those nights. And so <laughs> um, I just had enough. You know, I kind of grew up in a, you know, where I, even though I was an athlete, I, you know, I had you know, been bullied as a, you know, at times uh-huh. and I just didn't like it. And so I, I, I didn't know what, I just stood up, you know, and said enough. <laughs> and, and so now I'm dealing with six guys and, yeah, yeah. and so I walk inside, I remember, and, and, and Steve was there and he goes, he goes, Hey, well, what happened out there? I said, well, I was gonna, this guy's been giving me a hard time for a long time. And I was, you know, I was going to fight him, but, um, his friend stepped in mm-hmm. and he goes, Oh, they won't step in. And it was the first time anyone had ever just said, "I'll." And I had no idea if he was tough or not. I yeah. was just like, "All right, man, I got someone to ride with." Oh, me. okay. So I went out and um, <laughs> and was able, you know, to take care of my business and realized uh-huh. it was something that you know that I, I you know, was natural for me and, it, and fighting. And, yeah, and it kind of came easy and uh-huh. um, and so um, he all all the guys went to step in and when he stepped up, they they all knew who he was and it turned out he was you know, a tough guy in town and everyone knew. And so we, we became uh, good friends. And oh, so, I, you were a dream team. Of so friends. then <laughs> I, so I could go out and when guys would want to fight, I always had to fight my own fight, but I knew he would be there yeah. to keep the crowd away or, <laughs> so that became, you know, um, you know, I, so I spent years of, Right. Of, of that and many arrests and you know oh yeah a lot of a lot of yeah a lot yeah. of run-ins with the how many cops you said you ran from the cops with shitload oh and yeah I always had a theory that just run and yeah, then yeah. deal with stuff later if you can get away and if and if they catch mm-hmm. you though you stop mm-hmm. I was always a very good at I got caught at Casey's Golden Pheasant running <laughs> through a crowd and I, I remember that clearly I ran but when they caught me then you just kind of give. Yeah. That, there's no police brutality if yeah. you just give. Yeah, but if yeah. you if you don't, I mean, <laughs> of course I might slack you around, which I would consider deserved. But um so yeah, I, I had oh, I don't know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen arrests, I suppose. Sure. From just usually fighting and drinking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So anyways, that was yeah, but he, you know, good friend all those years, but was sad about it is you know, yeah, yeah. is he when he died was um, you know, I had warned him he had always protected me and always been a guy that if somebody said something, he would step in if there was numbers. Um, and he, he was, he was, um, but the reason I bring that up is here's a guy that at the end, when I said to him, Steve, you need to stop yeah. drinking. I'm not, I, it will kill you. And yeah. I'm not going to walk that path with you mm. and I'll help you, but I'm not, I'm will not. Cause he came over to my house drunk and mm. I have kids and I was like, you can't yeah, do that. Yeah. And, um, and you know, the last text, you know, that he sent me was, was not normal for mm. him. And, and it just shows you what can happen with when, when you get swallowed up by yeah. addictions and, um, and then, you know, next I heard he'd fallen down and it literally died. Mm. So, um, so I've seen the destruction of it. I have some really talented friends, some talented musicians that 
were just incredible talents. Mm-hmm. And um, and then just the the drugs, the alcohol, just really took the talent from them. Yeah, or they exchanged it. Right. You know. So um. So. Yeah, I've I've walked. I've walked that path. So I'm, I'm open with it because it was, it was, uh, but I'm not, not, not proud of, you know, especially I'm going to have to talk to my kids about, look at these mug shots, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but there's always a teaching lesson in it. If you're right. honest, right, right. if you're honest, it's like, that's what it was, but right. that's not what I am now. Right. So. Well, and that's kind of something like this podcast project where I'm just talking to people is just like the idea that, there's a lot more talking that could be done about a lot of things, like problems essentially, or potential problems like this. And so if you just like open up the conversation, often it's much much better to just have it open to, to the world than to have it closed up and kind of at risk of uh, like festering or something or... Um, you know, because sometimes then, like, with kids, it can be something that you feel ashamed of, and then, like, that starts a whole, like, enter- or engine of, like, self-punishment or something. Um, but that thing about, like, artists or sensitive people, I think, is how I usually think about them and how, like, often they get swallowed up by these things. It's something that I think about a lot. My mom kind of raised me. She came up... Or she was doing AA when I grew up. So this was something that we talked about a lot. And so it's something I think about a lot. And even still, right, I think when we met last time for coffee, had I quit drinking at that point? Or did I talk about that? Do you remember? I think you were, it was on the table as something you were considering, but I can't remember. Or it was very early. Yeah, I think maybe it was right like after. a few days or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I stopped drinking for a couple months. And recently I've been kind of dipped my toe in. It kind of makes me feel shitty, so I'm not, like, that interested. But um, So it's something I think about. I've been thinking about actively that way, right? Thinking about... Because I just came off a pretty heavy stint after my divorce, and there was all sorts of shit that I was trying to work through with that. Um, but all just to bring it back to like your your friend here and like it seems sometimes that these forces are like weeding out people who are sensitive like this culture doesn't really like if you're sensitive cuz you're you're going to tend to like throw a fit about things or point out how some stuff doesn't seem right and of course, like I have kind of a definite ideology behind a lot of this. Like I think a lot of modern culture is just messed up, and like the people who are often, you know, it's kind of that idea that only the good die young or something. Like people who are most sensitive are ones who are most liable to get like sucked into these things. It seems like, and so I wonder about that. And you know, taking yourself as a great example, like you seem to be a pretty perceptive uh like intelligent person and it begs the question of like how you ended up in so many dumbass situations and uh i don't know it's just like a big problem that i try to figure out i guess which is partly why i wanted to talk to you more about it you know yeah for me trauma was the entry yeah yeah yeah. but um i would love to talk about it but i would love to take a, a quick run to the other room and back indeed yeah 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 let's take a break Waste, 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 waste. So, what story nights were you there? Do you remember what the other, what the other uh, 
story was? Uh, one, I know the one was the 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 one I know you were there is the run from the cops one, but yeah, yeah. our run from the neighbor. <laughs> yeah, and then the other one was one about um, you telling a story to your kids. Okay. About how you were getting, you just got a oh, okay an yeah. implant thing or something, yeah. and you were telling your kids beautiful sad stories about you being the superhero and yeah okay. yeah that kind of thing so i um that's the other one but yeah so um trauma let's let's go with that for a second yeah so trauma was I, something i'm very interested in and and trauma can come a lot of ways emotional trauma physical trauma yeah. and it can you know for me it was you know some very uh harsh words and, mm. you know, abandonment mm-hmm. and, you know, from, you know, man, it's funny. You want to, I love my dad. Mm. And so it's hard to say mm. uh, when, when there's moments like that, because it doesn't encompass the man. Mm-hmm. But for me as a child and not, he was a truck driver and mm. in third grade education and, oh, okay. and, um, you know, youngest of 14, but it ended up, building a business that employed, you know, thousands through the years. And mm-hmm. he was a self-made, you know, man and, mm-hmm. and, and well-respected. And, and um, but, you know, he, the one failing there, like for me and him was we didn't spend hardly any time together. And we did, there was a couple times where he was drinking and mm-hmm. things came out that were, you know, um, unpleasant mm. But they crushed me as a young boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he's my hero, and, mm-hmm. and I've forgiven him and, and for that and understand it now as an adult with mm-hmm. kids. And when I'll snap with my kids or mm-hmm. something, you realize, you know, you start to see things different than when you're, you right. know, when you're in the, the same stresses. Sure. But, you know, um, those specific things. And then I, you know, I had some some violent encounters, and mm. and that's what probably got me into defending myself and fighting as I realized after you know, getting concussions multiple times from being hit by men. You're like, even though I'm, you know, I wasn't a fighter, I realized, ooh, I, I, they will concuss me yeah. anyways, and I won't know my own name. So when that happens, you need, when, you've, you, when you sense that, yeah. you best, you know. But um, so those traumas, I think, were, were physical and, and verbal and then abandonment things that... Um, you know, I didn't know what to do with. Yeah. And so when I started to, I, fr- I did it through sports. Sports was my thing. And then when yeah. I first touched, you know, alcohol, it was. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden I was self-medicating. Right, right. And so I used drugs as self-medication uh-huh. is what I did. And, and um, you know, I didn't resolve those issues. Yeah. Which all those years later I realized, you know, with my dad, I didn't, I wasn't not forgiving him. I didn't think about it that way. Mm. I just held it. And when I was able to forgive him, it just was gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the power of forgiveness is huge. Right. Because what it is left this big open hole that always could be just accessed. Mm. And so, you know, that was um, that was a key thing for me was being able to forgive. But, yeah, trauma is, is definitely, I, yeah. I've seen as an entryway for a lot of addictions. Yeah. yeah. And it can yeah. be many different ways that that trauma you know, comes to somebody, but yeah, 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 yeah. I got obsessed with trauma like almost overnight. It felt like after it was after the divorce. There was a couple times where my emotional pain that I was feeling at the time became physical pain, 
And it was like I've I at one point called it like astral pain. It felt like this mm. cosmic pain, like the worst pain I'd ever felt in some ways. But it was a consequence of like stuff that my now kind of ex-wife Sydney and I had been talking about and working through. It was like in the middle of a deep, like difficult conversation that I had this like traumatic emotional event. But it was related to like a lot of expectations and stuff that I had set up for myself and that it feel like felt like I was breaking from. And it almost felt like a recognition of all the previous trauma before that, too. Like, it was like, once I saw the water for the water around me, then I was, I just, like, once I saw a little bit, I saw that I was surrounded in it. And I, I like, have a theory kind of that, like, modern life is kind of inherently traumatic. And so, like, a lot of people are just walking around with trauma. And it seems to explain, like, the high addiction rates and stuff in our country from like prescription pills to booze to street drugs. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing about trauma is if you take the time to look into trauma-based mind control mm. oh. and, and, and look into that, and we won't go into that now because that's a whole other thing. That sounds but interesting. But if you, if you go into, I don't know if you're familiar with, with any of it, but uh-uh. um, when you look at that, you realize that... Is it kind of abuse mind control type deal? Or? Yeah. yeah okay. And, you know, yeah. it was something the Nazis used, and it was something that was used, the CIA used, and, yep, yep, and, yep. and, and um, it was used many ways through through physical trauma and with, with you know, drugs LSD as well. even? Yeah. Yeah. And so there was ways that the, you, could, you could control somebody, you know, once you've... Once the trauma happens. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, it's disassociation where they'll, you know, multiple personal personality disorder or disassociatives yeah. where people, when they get, especially kids, when, when they're traumatized, they go to a different place yeah, yeah. out of protection. Right. And then that can be manipulated and used. Sure. And you can trigger and kind of control people. Wow. Yeah. You know? And, but what I, what I've seen with that, as I've studied that and looked into that was, Oh, that same thing happens on a, on a, on a, on a, Macro level, you know, when you have, you know, the execution of the most powerful man, you know, on the planet and public view and people mm. get to see Kennedy's get shot, mm. there's a trauma there. And mm. then what happens when a trauma happens is what's introduced next cements for people. Mm. So often, mm. you know, some big trauma and then you introduce something and it kind of cements it. So or nine eleven with terror war. Or absolutely, that's a perfect example. So um, after a trauma, something can be introduced. So, so um, let me replace some batteries really fast. Sure. I don't want to die in the middle of trauma. To earn the right to speak into someone's life, even if it's true, you may not have the. It may not be received, and and you may not have the uh, right to. To do it, but then there are t- times where it's like, stop! Yeah, you're yeah. walking into traffic. You're going to die. Right. <laughs> so there are times, it's just you have to be able to, I guess, uh, decipher when to step in and when not. But it's nice when people ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What's I always see like a director. My, you know, my wife, um, as an actress and and a director, she, good directors are ones that are able to ask questions of the actor so the actor can discover it for themselves. And mm. the director you can't stand is the one that makes the choices for you because then you can't play them. Mm-hmm. It's like, do this, do that. And you're like, 
you do it now because it's it's yours. It's no longer my creation. Right, so right. when a, a great director will ask the questions to get someone going in a direction, well, they will discover it themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an art to that. Right, right, right. To where you may see something with someone and instead of maybe saying this, ask mm-hmm. a few questions that allow them to discover that. Totally. Yeah. Well, that goes to like maybe what it means to be a good teacher too. We we got from trauma to here really fast. Well, I yeah. tr- changed the batteries, but um, a good teacher is like really there to show the student how to eventually be autonomous in that field on their own. And so, if you're a teacher and you're trying to hold your hand, th- your student's hand through everything, they're never really going to be able to walk on their own. And so, I don't know. I guess that's like another big concept that I've been thinking about is autonomy. And, like, yeah. the idea of organicness. Like, if I wanted to go look up stuff about trauma, you just, like, mention trauma brainwashing to me, and then I can go see what stuff I stumble into. And then it's got a meaning to me. Like, I found it and that thing about discovering it and having that, like, sense of agency and that you did something, like, is on a basic level just, like, really valuable. And it's part of that thing about, like, cleaning your room or, like, I haven't done my fucking dishes for just a day, and they're already piled up. Um, I had a potluck, but um, even just staying on top of your dishes shows you that you can make changes and you can see how things that you change change more. And there's like exponential stuff that falls out. And there's like a really practical power with that in the sense that like we could treat our lives like an experiment kind of. And like we can feel a sense of power and purpose doing that kind of thing. So I don't know. You sounded a little Jordan Peterson with the doing your dishes. Yeah, yeah. I probably run, run, run smack into Foucault in a in a strange way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some weird shit there. Yeah, but there's th- I agree. I'm a firm believer in in, in taking you know responsibility and in, in doing things. And yeah. I mean, you you can't be an artist without it. Yeah. I mean, how can you be a accomplished musician if yeah. you don't take you know agency over your instrument and, right. and the work ethic and what you put in it. So right. I think that's, that to me is just the, the foundation of a, an artist. Sure. You know, so totally. So that's, that's pretty simple to me, but right. Um, well, and yet there's this artist thing about like being pleasure, like Kerouac, do your thing. And, um, I tend to be like the latter. So I'm working more and I have a whole bunch of shit about, you know, how I don't think, that was, like, raised to have autonomy in some senses. Like, I think I was raised to follow, like, a certain track. And I don't know. Um, I just, yeah, I guess I think about that shit a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, you can improvise within, but you have to have structure before. Yes. To be a, to, to be a great jazz musician, like, you have to have certain foundations before you can go explore. Right. And just improvise right and exactly so that comes with excellence and with you know um putting in the time mm-hmm. to to you know accomplish you know or you know to get control of your craft and have mm-hmm. you know have you know have the power to take the gift and make it you know into a, a talent that you can use right you know so it's it's never nothing you just don't stumble across greatness. No. It has to be the, you know, the genius is in the details and it takes time mm-hmm. is what I, is what I believe. Right, right. You know, I mean, you may stumble across something here and there, but, mm. you know. 
Well, that's the whole game, too. Like, whenever you hear artists or something that I always grabbed onto when I heard artists talk in interviews or whatever is the idea that they're not really doing anything that special in some ways. Like, they have a protocol that they do. But in some sense, like, something that I really like is the idea that doing anything is better than not doing anything, I guess. Like, if you're mining for gold, say, like, you're going to have a way better chance of doing it if you go at least just out in your backyard and you could do it a little bit. And you might find a little tiny flake or something in there or... But if you never go out of your house with a gold pan and try, you're never going to do it. So, like, to me, somebody is an artist who has a gold pan or or panning pan, right? I, think I, we, I went to Virginia City when I was a kid, and we did gold. Um, <laughs> so an artist is somebody who just goes out over and over and over again. And, like, they refine where they go and how they dip the pan in and stuff. But the main thing, like, their main gift is the work, Yes. Is going and putting the time in and sifting through. Like one of the guys, his name is the tallest man on earth. He's a singer songwriter. Um, he talked about how he th- throws out like 98% of the words he writes. Um, or uh, who's that? Dostoevsky, I think, every day wrote a bunch and he would burn his best page. And so that idea of not only going through the scraps and throwing out the like the chaff the idea of like going through the gold pieces and throwing out those even if they're not good enough um and just something about that persistence and it's it's also just like an odds game right like if you write 100 songs you're just more likely to have happened to write even one good line out of those songs or disparate lines that you can maybe put into a song eventually or something. Um, so that's something that like, I just frankly don't have the discipline for and I'm kind of like trying to figure out like how to get that autonomy and that discipline. Um, but yeah, I think it's really hard and it's harder and harder, you know, if you're like having to work or whatever, that's like one of my things is I have like debts to pay and, like, I had a drinking problem for six months that didn't help with that. Like, going back, <laughs> I could see, like, on my credit card bill, like, oh, shit. Like, that's where a big chunk dropped out, and now I'm having to fill that hole. Yep. So there's something about, too, like, living in this economy and shit where, like, there's just not time to do that if you're kind of a normal person or unless you take out a big student loan, you don't have the time. So I don't know. And I also am cautious because sometimes it sounds like I'm making excuses, right? Like I could probably find time if I woke up at like five in the morning every morning, um, which is something I've been thinking about more and more, actually. Like if that's what it would take to fucking find the time to practice this bass more regularly, like that's maybe something I need to do. Absolutely. The best time is the early time. Yeah. No one can mess with that time. Right. And and time is so valuable and... You know, like Picasso said, to have a direct focus, mm. that is the thing. Mm. And, and, and you have to create that time. You know, I had a consulting job that was brutal because of the the travel was, you know, I would go to Bozeman for a 6.30, you know, meeting where I would, you know, have a two-hour drive. And then if it's wintertime and blizzardy. Mm. And to me, man, I just knew that if I can do this well. Mm-hmm. If I can get up at 2.45, 3 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. 
you know, 3.30 and then hammer it there and be able to deliver something that's, you know, original content that's, you know, that's good. Mm -hmm. When people are just waking up, it's it's like, it, it to me, it was like hitting the uh, streets for, uh, or like for, uh, you know, mm -hmm. a, for a band that's, you know, on the road or a, a, a comic that's, mm -hmm. you know, working crowds mm -hmm. and doing it. I just knew that that discipline was was going to pay off, mm -hmm. you know, because it was brutal. It was mm -hmm. no fun waking up at that time and, and, and knowing, you know, I've had blizzards along the way. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. But looking back now, you know, some of the work I do now is a direct result of that discipline. Mm. And it's in a different form. Mm. Like, but it's because I was working my craft. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I had to make it happen. So um, to me, time is, life's all about choices. And, mm. and uh, you can, it depends on what you value. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, if you have a, a specific thing you value, you will find a way to make it happen. Mm. You can find a way to mm. make it happen. But um, that's usually when passion comes in and when people are just uncompromising on their art. Right, right. You know? Right. And uh, it takes it takes that discipline. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you need the 10,000 hours of wax on, wax off before yeah, yeah. you become. And the only way to do that is to put in the work. Yeah, yeah. So right. that's not as sexy as the, you know. Going to do it. Yeah. 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 So what do you do for, how do you parcel out your time for for what's important to you as far as the arts go? Yeah. Um, so I don't, I clean houses like a couple days a week, I'd say. Like maybe, well, maybe two, three days a week. And then I've got like a paper route in the morning. Um, and then I play gigs like one to three times a week usually. Um, and that's kind of like anything, jazz gigs or um, some singer-songwriter friends. You probably know Grant, I think. Yeah, I know Grant. Yeah. Um, I got lost the other day because I had his, my brother, I drove his car. Yeah. And I had a CD in and oh. in, I started listening to it and I was driving and I was so into it that I was like, whoa, I, I missed my turn like <laughs> a mile back. Oh, wow. And so and then cool. I looked, I was like, oh, it's Grant Jones. Yeah, yeah. Like, then I, just, <laughs> I, I was like, who am I listening to? Because he didn't tell me. He goes, you're going to like this. Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. Grant. Cool. Yeah, so yeah. play with him sometimes. Um, it's tough because I, I worked in a law office for like a year after college and pretty quickly was found that I didn't think I wanted to be in an office or working under somebody more importantly, I think, um, I didn't like the idea of like having 40 hours a week plus that was like, I just couldn't touch pretty much. Um, so I quit that and started just like looking for anything to do. Like I was walking dogs or house sitting or just trying to figure out some kind of odd job schedule with a decent wage so that I could start to have income and have more control over my f my schedule and also like kind of control my wage more um where like if i could pull down or i also teach students um like music students so i have guitar vocal bass students um and that's like a more specialized job and utilizes like my kind of music skills to where i can like make 
50 bucks an hour doing lessons. So if I can get the students, I can kind of give myself a raise, right? Like, you, yep. you know, like that game, of course, but, yep. um, my daughter knows this game mm. and it's, 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 I asked my, my daughter, she's seven, mm. said, you know, how do we earn income? Mm-hmm. She'll say, by adding value to the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. And she knows. And I'll ask her when she <laughs> wants to do something, does that add value? Yes. How much? Uh-huh. You know, and she's learning, you know, now because she, she, her dream is to be an artist. Yeah, yeah. And she draws every day. Cool. And so we do that. But I also want to give her the work ethic to know sure. that she can, you know, make her way but here's the thing i think about artists now is yeah. like if you look back at the bohemians and um and it, it's kind of you know are, are the beatniks same thing where you have a certain you have kind of a a, a romantic artistic look in view that you would rather have mm the conversation deep into the night and the alcohol and the yeah. being, you know, free and moving and, and discussing the literature and doing these things right. more so than the nine to five. Mm. And then, you know, there would be those that would say, you know, you're and so many of those came out of, mm. of, of, of uh, a place of, I think even Foucault came out of, mm. um, you know, a pretty uh, wealthy family. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so that's very common to come out and go, to go, I reject that. I've seen that. I want something different. And so right. that's repeated through the years, right, right, right. through the g- generations where kids will do that. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about now, I think more so than say, you know, um, in those times is you have uh, such access to income now. Like as an artist, you don't need everybody. And so mm. when I look at artists, I'm like, you can create your own and you have the platforms and the technology mm. that you can do it. Right, like right, you right. can, if you want to make a movie, you can make a movie, mm-hmm. and you can, you know, it's no longer controlled by, by big um, studios, and, big studios and, and same with music. Mm-hmm. And then with you know with YouTube, like you have, you have a, an ability to get things out if 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 you just you know work your art. Yeah, yeah. So now it's just it's wide open is with technology that people have access to information and people have access to ways to you know create and earn income. So mm-hmm. to me now is just for artists it's just wide open. Mm-hmm. You know you have freedom. Now it's a lot of work too. You have to there's nobody that's reached great heights that hasn't worked for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there I think more options now, more ways to get free to create your own without having to jump through the hoops of right. studios or, or, you know, production, you know, all that mm-hmm. can be done now in your home. Yeah. 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 So it's a good time to be, you know, an artist and be creative. And, and there's, uh, you know, a balance on the business side there too, that mm. if you learn, it's not an ugly thing, Yeah. you know, instead of giving it over to someone else, mm. you know, you control your art and then, you know, when you do, you can earn income and do, do things that give you freedom because I see income and right. money as a way for freedom. Yeah, yeah. I don't need. I still have the same sensibilities I did when I was going from, you know, from couch to couch or hitchhiking, mm. you know. But now I just see, you know, money as a way to, you know, um, for freedom yeah. to be able to do things that you know interest me. Right. You know. Right. right. So, but yes, I think um, I think it's a great time to be an artist because you have, you know, you have so many ways to get your voice out there. Yeah. Your art out there. Right. But it has, you know, but then again, if you have an audience, what do you have to offer? Mm. You know, and that's where it comes down to, are you, 
Are you doing the wax on, wax off for yeah, 10 yeah. hours a day uh, right. working on your craft? Right. So you can be the overnight success after 15 years of right. grinding, right, 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 <laughs> you know? Right. So. Well, that's kind of part of the interest with me pursuing this podcast thing more is I feel like with my training in school, I did spend time developing like my thinking process, especially with words um, and kind of like some oration, you know, talking skills and stuff. So this is like a way for me to kind of exercise and work out a bigger engine that I had time to build and part of me like kind of wishes I had that student time now to have done music, right? Where like that would have been like, cause it was kind of no problem for me. And it was a lot of fun when I was a student to like go to the library for six hours at night to make sure for like five nights in a row to make sure that I had that 10 page paper done. Right. So like I have those discipline skills and I don't quite know. I'm trying to figure out the fucking issues nowadays. I, I think it's a lot of like, emotional stuff that I'm like working through and just sort of restructuring how I think about my whole person pretty much. Um, but this like talking is a way to do that for me. And so, um, in some sense, it seems like a nice exercise for me to feel like what it's like to be like, Oh, here's what it's like to work on something and then be able to offer it as a skill or a gift that people can maybe pull value out of. Um, and so, you know, just like even talking with you is like seems really potentially nice that we can pull like some nice bits of wisdom out and share it's, them. It's needed now more than ever. And I, yeah, because um, I don't think things are any more polarizing than they've ever been as far as the way people think. Yeah. I think it's just you have a. Uh, you know, our culture now where people are sound bites and they l- look to certain voices that are going to give, you know, give them, say, for like politics. Yeah. Um, very simple. All you have to do is look at, at Fox News and go, who's their audience? Look at CNN. Who's their audience? Okay. So we have an audience that likes to hear this. Yeah. Fox News, CNN. So if you have an audience, the audience is driving the content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the because the advertisers want those people, mm-hmm. so you have to look and go. Okay, am I really going to get the conversations I want here? Can you mine stuff out of that? Sure, you can find things, but it's all based on dollars that are going to advertisers. So the adver- the people that it's are advertising are going right? to say, "I want you to say this, otherwise we're out. Yeah, Our yeah, money's yeah. gone." Yeah. So you realize that um, for all those years, I mean, you know. Jim Morrison said it years ago and said that, you know, the media controls the mind, mm. you know, and, yep, um, yep, yep. and, you know, here was a guy that was in his early 20, like 23 years old in the sixties when there was only three stations and he knew that's how you do it mm. is you control the message, yeah. you control the mind. And, and so now with the internet and with podcasts, you mm. can go in and, and listen to conversations and mm. educate yourself mm-hmm. and listen to lectures and people that you can, you know, really enrich your life and yeah. and, and grow as a, a human. Just need to step away from from all of the uh, consumer driven content. Mm-hmm. And so, conversations yeah. like this um, are, are are huge value. And yeah. I, that's what I loved about Story Night. And I told mm-hmm. Tyler that mm-hmm. I said I could tell by hearing people speak on what was important to them. Yeah, that there was there was people that would be polar opposites in belief systems, mm-hmm. and it was a community. And people respect each other. Mm-hmm. But if you were to be on 
Facebook, those same people with certain things, they would think, I hate this person, I hate that. And you realize yeah. there's a there communication between people. It's okay to, I, I want to surround myself with people who think different. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, right. I want to have conversation. Well, because otherwise um, it's not a real conversation. It's just people reinforcing what's already there. Exactly. Right? Yep. Yeah. And you have to be obviously willing to have new information and go, oop. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an important component, right? But no, I think this is a is a really uh, interesting time in 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 humanity because of the ability to communicate. It's almost like an overload of it. Mm. There's so much, mm-hmm. but um, totally. I think it's a. I think I think that's what's really needed is conversations. People sitting down and talking mm-hmm. and getting to know their neighbor and people that think different and not be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, right, right. Or just get mad and leave or start yeah. yelling. Or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I know most of the... I know I have many, many... I think anyone. Like you can be sitting in a room with anyone, and if, if someone knew everything that you believe, there's gonna, you're, you're never going to be in a room where you're in agreement with, I mean... My wife and I are pretty tight, and we yeah. disagree on many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're never going to find that. Totally. That's a good thing. But um, le- how are you doing with um, divorce? Yeah. Is that something you're open to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of also part of this podcast thing. Um, so we have this book club podcast, and we had it for a couple of years. And then... More recently, like a couple months ago, my buddy was like, hey, I want to have a chance to just like talk talk to you one-on-one and just like record it. So I took that and was like, all right, well, I'm going to start doing that with people too. And then I was like, you know, I want to like, I've even th- been thinking about doing a divorce podcast with like Sydney because um, mm-hmm. we're amicable now. And I think it would be helpful for us to talk about like what happened. Like I think we entered into that marriage with like a lot of assumptions that a lot of other people have too. And if we were to talk about that, that would be like helpful. Um, so I'm definitely open to talk about it. Um, I guess I'm, I'm good. I've been reading like some weird books and shit that have been helping me rethink about like how, I don't know. I guess I'd like to see what you think about it for sure. Um, some of these books say that like marriage is a pretty modern device and that it doesn't seem to line up with a lot of aspects of our nature. Um, and that it kind of seems restrictive. And so I've just been thinking about, um, that and been thinking about how I was more importantly than anything, just not making my own decisions, I guess, and, like, really thinking about, like, how the tracks that I ended up going on mattered a lot. And a lot of the time I would just defer to other people's expectations about what I should do, and I didn't take, like, a very active role in that. And so that marriage was a part of it, I think. And Sydney and I were just young. We'd been together for eight years. We have, I guess, like nine years or something. We had been together for four, I think, which was pretty long. Five. High school sweethearts through through college, pretty much. Um, 
meh, meh, meh. So I don't know. That's a bunch of stuff. Do you yeah. have a more focused question, maybe? Well, yeah, I was just... Well, I mean, it was um, something you'd brought up when we talked the first time. And, yeah. And then um, you'd mentioned some things that you tried in your marriage. And then, mm. that, you know, you know, now that you're divorced and how there's some... How that naturally has implications mm. on the people around you and friend sets and all those things mm. that are, are natural. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely interested in that. Mm. Um, let me take one more quick break and then yeah, if you yeah. don't mind. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> By all means. <laughs> all right. Marriage. We're back. Marriage. Yeah. Actually, we're reading The Princess Bride next oh, month, I think. Even. That's, that's my uh, favorite movie. <laughs> It is. It's funny because I was a rambling, you know, drunken drug addict, and and but I would walk the streets quoting Princess Bride <laughs> in my head when I was, and so I had this romantic kind of imagery of of what should be with marriage, yeah. even though I lived this, you know, life of excess just Ruffian. to kind of try to fuel. Or try to, you know, deaden, you know, some of the things, the mm. trauma. Mm. But, um, you know, to, I've been married 10 years now. And, and uh, you know, my I could spend five lifetimes with her and never, ever even get remotely close to understanding all the mm. beautiful, intricate things about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just fantastic. So... You know, to me, you know, I, I lean fully the other way as far as marriage goes. Mm-hmm. You know, to me that now finding the right one is is essential. Mm. Uh, but um, to me, it's um, you know, I see the sacrifice that she, you know, she's given up so much, and you know, when you walk through life, especially like so, you know, I'm dying, so mm-hmm. I have um. Yeah, so we haven't talked about that. Yeah, all so I have a record here. You know, um, what could be just a couple of weeks if things don't go right, and so, and I, I expect I'll, I'll live, but I could die, and you know, by May first. So, the you like, start to realize things are different when you face death. Mm-hmm. Things f- are boiled down. All the things, it's these things that. You think matter don't matter. Yep, yep. You know, and then it comes down to is just the very few people around you, like your inner circle. I mean, yep. you have friends and you love them, but it's like, you know, who's in, you know, in the in the in the fight with you that's yeah. actually taking bullets and willing to die for you, and yeah, like yeah. or willing to walk through you, you know, being there while you're, you know, things aren't going well, mm-hmm. sickness and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, to me, you know, when I look at my wife and see, I mean, I just can't imagine going any other way, mm. you know, like to, and I think you, I, be, I personally believe that we're made that way. I think we're made for, mm. for intimacy and I think we're made for, you know, union. And, and I think True. it doesn't matter who people get jealous very quickly and mm. easy. It's like a human thing. Mm. Um, so, you know, to me, you know, monogamy, it's, I, I just don't see things working outside of that. Mm. Um, I see, you know, I think people have the freedom and right to, you know, to choose and to do things. Mm. But, you know, um, you know, for me, 
yeah, for me, it's it's Cassidy, and that's it, man. There's I, I can't see any other. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want anything other than her all the time. Sure. You know, and and um, it's funny because <laughs> if yeah, yeah, I I get offend. I would be offended like if if a girl like you know, um. To me, my family is so important and so protected that if if a girl flirted with me, it would make me angry mm. because I would see it as not a... I would see it as this is mm. something that would try to destroy my family. Mm. Even if it's innocent and it's not, and they don't sure. premeditate or don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm fiercely devoted yeah, yeah. that I'm very... Um, that that my family is, is everything. So, um, yeah, so I... I yeah. That's how I kind of I kind of see it. I'm very much... Um, sure you know princess buttercup <laughs> yeah yeah well that's cool yeah. i don't know like i have a whole arsenal of shit that i like stuff about how it seems like evolutionarily it's way more likely that humans aren't monogamous and there's also this idea that we can be intimate without being monogamous right like you don't need to be have signed a marriage contract in order to be intimate with somebody mm-hmm. um but I, I i don't know i'm growing like more and more uninterested in arguing too so like yeah um well, I think discussion is different than arguing. Sure. Like that, I, I mean, that, I think that's exactly what we're talking about is like, you know, people can see things different ways or have different forms of art that they enjoy that others don't. There's nothing. I, I think a discussion's a good thing, but that's definitely where, you know, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a happily married man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't mean that to be. No. Like lobbing uh, something <laughs> your way. I mean, it just. No. You asked. Sure, no. I'm in love. No, and I'm I, yeah. I'm really interested in figuring out how to talk about stuff when it seems like there's like fundamental stuff that doesn't line up and still yeah. like finding a way to see each other or so maybe I'm just trying to Yeah. <laughs> no what well, I, I guess I, I, I don't mind conversations that yeah. a lot of people get caught up in yeah. that are, are problematic. Like yeah. to me it's it's and fundamental is a good word because I would be what a lot of people would call fundamentalist in black and white. Mm. I see things a certain way, and and um, you know, it's funny because I was I was at a, a friend's wedding, and this will this will summarize I, hopefully what what I, I see marriage as. Mm. And I was at the wedding, and and they were going through through the um, it was you know the uh, rehearsal, mm. and so they were doing the vows and saying mm-hmm. the vows, and you know, like any wedding, you're gonna have people at different, you know friends that are different stages of life or have different yeah. thoughts and and so in it hmm. you know she said i submit to you um to you know to the to her husband and that was part of the vows that they were exchanging and i heard these these the, the you know bridesmaids are like submit no way i don't submit to no man yeah I submit to nobody and i was and i remember feeling a sadness because i think they didn't understand what it meant yeah and it's not submission in, in, in that, like in the biblical sense, is this, is, is the, the church is the bride yeah. and Jesus is the head. Uh-huh. And the submission is he died for the church. So the woman can submit properly mm. to a man because he's willing to die for her. So it doesn't mean you get all, you, I submit to you, meaning you're the boss. Mm. It means I trust you enough that you're willing to die for me that I can trust, you know. Mm. Um, and then mm. the, on the other side is, on the, su- on, on the submission side with marriage, would be, you know, oh, 
that means the guy gets to make the choice, say, in mm-hmm. the biblical sense. And, and, and he gets to decide. And it's like, mm, as, as a husband mm. who's made a lot of choices for my family, mm. it's not that way. It's, okay, I listen to my wife and I talk to my wife and she has huge you know, value and she's smart and most of the time she's right and I come around to going, yep, you were right. Mm. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that. Like I'm very much have ideas, and, but mm. I, I'm critical thinker to say, nope, that's right. Sure. But what it comes down to with, with, with the submission in marriage and is, is if my wife and I come to a, a, a point where we can't work it, mm-hmm. we, we, we disagree, then in our marriage, I do have, you know, the final say, and it's terrible because mm. if I'm wrong, the whole weight of my decision comes down on my family, mm. you know, and that's a, um, and that's a enormous weight. Mm. And so I thought when I heard them saying that, I knew it was a throwaway thing, but mm. to me, I, I think it has to go both ways is that the husband or the wife would be willing to give up everything for the other. Sure. And in that context, then everything changes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But if that's not the base and you don't start there, mm-hmm. well, then you're going to have a real, you know, you're going to have issues um, eventually, most likely because life brings them, you right, know? Right, right, so, um, So I think that's a beautiful thing, but I also sure. understand, sure. you know, how, um, how that would, you know, William Blake talks about that <laughs> in the Chapel of Love and, yeah. you know... Thou shalt not writ over the door, and right. you can't do this, and right. no, nothing's growing anymore. Yeah, and so, um, so I, I've ex- I've explored critically both sides of that. Yeah, and, yeah, and I yeah. fall on on the um, on the romantic. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that maybe a, explains a little bit of yeah, kind of how yeah. I see it. Yeah, yeah. But I see it as I'm willing to die for my wife. Sure. And so she can trust that. If I make a choice, you know, it's sure it's um, it's heavy. It's not. I get to. It's, right, right. it's like, oh, this is on me. I better get it right because my family's right. right. Gonna, you know, have the the consequences. So but it's anyways. a responsibility. Yeah. 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 So in that instance, like even just with those vows, like would the man have said something like I submit to you? I can't remember. Not um, to be get like into the weeds on that, but it, like I think there's some stuff. I about can't remember in their vows if that was. I just remember yeah. the response. Yeah. You know, um, I know the response um, was to that, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I I listen to my wife, man. Like I'm I'm not a dummy. Like she's super smart, mm-hmm. and so like if she has an idea or she comes to things, I'm all for it. Like right. you know. You said you make the final decisions. What does that mean? Well, like, saying in that context of saying when they say submit, saying okay, what if you have an impasse as a husband mm-hmm. and uh, and and, uh, and uh, you know, and I had that with like, uh, are we gonna buy this car? Or... Yeah, well, I had a, I had a court case where um, uh. they were get you know I, I I was crashed into and and I, I was at a stoplight and got slammed into and they wanted to the insurance was gonna pay part of it. But they were gonna pay like twenty thousand dollars, but I had thirty thousand dollars in bills. And I'm like, I was mm. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like and you know, they were saying you should take it because you might lose in court. Mm-hmm. And um I remember that very clearly because I thought I, I always tell my kids, we don't lie, we don't steal, we don't cheat. Mm-hmm. And and you know, so when the mediator was talking to me about it, they're like, You're gonna lose in court. Mm. You know, you could lose, you could lose. And I said, I can't lose. Mm. And she goes, well, You can. I said, No, I can't if I do I tell my kids, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't cheat. He's lying, mm. and he's stealing time from me and my kids from mm. because I can't do the things I could before because of the injuries. Mm. And and um, so if I 
admit to that. If I agree with that, just to get this, I, I, I can't go to my, my kids and say, hey, we don't, do, we don't do this. We don't lie. We don't steal. We don't cheat. Except mm-hmm. when there's a big corporation involved yeah, and yeah. dad's sitting at a table and these guys <laughs> are really pressuring them. Then you got to. So I made the, you know, the, the choice to, to go through and, and we got slaughtered in court. Uh, uh, <laughs> and they just, right, right. you know, and I had to come home and tell my wife, hey, right before Christmas, you know, yeah. we go our way. And, and that's $30,000 of bills on, on yeah. me, on us now. Sure. And I could have taken, you know, um, you know, over two thirds of it and they would have, it would have been an easier path. Mm-hmm. And that was hard to have to, I made that choice, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, she backed me mm-hmm. because she knew it was about principle and that we're going to teach our kids that, you know, so mm-hmm. that it's not about the numbers, it's about doing the right thing, even if it hurts, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So she backed me on that could have been a huge split. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had a, a, we started a business right in the beginning of our marriage and I, I lost, you know, quarter million dollars into into mm. this endeavor and everything I had, mm. and so that's how we started our marriage was in that business. Mm-hmm. Now most people don't make it through that mm-hmm. type of financial mm-hmm. duress, and mm-hmm. and we did, you mm-hmm. know, and and um, it's because it's that give and take, sure, you know, and she allows me to make mistakes. She doesn't hold it over me, right, right, because if I made mistakes, yes, mm-hmm. and so you know, um, so yeah, I guess that's, uh, but there are a few occasions where, you know, I've made the choice because we're at an impasse mm-hmm. and then all of that weight of that falls on me. And it's mm-hmm. not fun to come home and say, no Christmas this year, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right, right. So that's, um, right. but it doesn't mean it's not sticky. It doesn't mean it's not, mm-hmm. but we're committed to each other. So sure. Yeah. I guess part of why it felt like there was something lobbed over my way is because it's in some of just the ways we even talk about, this stuff normally it's like when you say i'm a romantic it makes me sound like i'm not a romantic Uh, and that's a little offensive to me yeah because i like love just like everybody else and i like intimacy and i think it's precious and um so i guess that's part of why yeah i get that um that wasn't intended but no i know and i said romantic in my head i had the picture of princess bride of them you know with the kiss right before the kiss like they're kissing again the whole picture yeah 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 yeah. so to me um yeah, and I get that. that I was, understood that, that wasn't too. Intended. That wasn't yeah, intended. Yeah. Um, you know, no, that wasn't intended at all. Right, right. No, and I, I, but I'm just telling you, that's kind of just something that struck me. And I think it's what happens when we start getting into like touchy subjects with people or like difficult subjects is like we aren't aware that certain words that we say trigger stuff in other people yeah. that we have no idea about because it just doesn't do that with us. Right. If you have like a much different framework, I could say something to you that's like normal for me and it could be pretty offensive yeah. for you. And not to be like either the person over here getting offended about things. Sure. Um, but I think it's like interesting to kind of have see where our red flags are at and then yeah. what, what we can make. Of Normally them. I wouldn't start a conversation that way. But when we first met, you had brought it up and I was like, yeah. wow, he's very open about that. And it's very yeah, interesting yeah. because of some of the dynamics that you spoke about. And yeah. that's why. I, you know, I probably could have phrased it different and said, you know, instead of saying divorce, should we talk about it? Instead yeah, of yeah. saying, how, you know, your experience, but um, sure. definitely could have used a different entry in, but it definitely intrigued me because I was like, yeah. wow, that's not a conversation that usually happens with someone that I've just met. Yeah, yeah. Were, it was something you were going through and you were open to. So yeah. that's why I, uh, 
I brought it up. No, and I yeah. really appreciate it. Like I said, I'm trying to talk about it and figure out ways to talk better about it. And But, again, it's, like, tough. Like, even that word divorce is pretty fucking nasty in my mind. Like, um, and I guess part of, like, what I'm trying to work through is, like, the sense of failure that I've felt and trying to figure out the ways that I actually did fail and then trying to figure out the ways that there were just some expectations that weren't realistic that I was taking from the world and putting on myself. Um, and so part of that is like, like I just almost rather refer to it as like a separation or a dissolution or something so that it reflects more of like the businessy aspect that I felt like I was dissolving with Sydney. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess that's something that kind of like concerns me overall and why I like get obsessed with marriage is because I think there's some aspects of it that like take some really nasty aspects of like a capitalist world essentially where everybody's trying to get theirs and they take it into the home and it becomes a place where like the person who you're supposed to love unconditionally is also the person you're running a, a business with. And that seems to me to be like this, like don't shit where you eat thing. So I wonder sometimes and get concerned about just like, you know, just even the language of like my wife has value. Like that sounds a little like like you're weighing a person and, and putting value on them. And I don't know if I'm totally just reading a bunch of shit from my trauma into this either, right? Like I might just be taking all of my problems and projecting them onto stuff. Um, which my I wife guess has huge value. She's the most valuable thing in, on the planet to me. Right, right. I mean, so, so, I mean... That's just what it is. Right. But in another sense, she's priceless, right? Which is like yeah. where I would, I don't know, I guess, go. Like as a human, they're just priceless. Yeah. So I just wonder about like what marriage does to us as a societal expectation, like on an individual level. Like the more I've th thought about it, the more it seems to have caused me a lot of trauma, frankly. And like, so this is me trying to work through that yeah. stuff. How, and, and go a little deeper there so I can understand, like, how does it, how is that? trauma and I think it's just led me to feel shame ashamed of things that I shouldn't have been ashamed of like for the longest time I've been flirty right right so like I flirt with people kind of anybody and to me it's just playful and like it's how I get to know people and you can kind of get into pretty intimate places just by saying like something playful to somebody um so for the longest time I would see that and I don't know. I'd feel like ashamed of it, I guess, because I was being promiscuous or something. Um, or, you know, I'd get into relationships and I would think that I had commitment issues when really looking back, like that's just a lot of pressure to put on yourself to think that like you're potentially getting on a track with somebody for the rest of your life. Like that's just a pretty anxiety inducing thing. So like back when I used to get like stomach knots with my girlfriends in high school, like, maybe it wasn't commitment issues. Maybe it's because, like, I felt like I was getting into something that I didn't quite know what I was signing up for. Where, like, there's this implication, and it even happened. Like, I married my high school sweetheart, where, like, we got onto the track, and once we were together for long enough, it's like, well, we may as well get married. And we were, I described to you the whole marriage problem, I think. Um, we were trying to figure out stuff, and so we got married and ended up, being very painful and making it much worse than it I think could have been if like there wasn't this societal expectation that you get married and that's how you fix things or you know you see it with older married couples who 
have problems after a couple years and then decide it's time to have a baby. And then that's a way for them to rejuvenate their relationship. And then they get divorced shortly, you know, a few years after that, and they have a kid. And the kid is now, like, a bigger web that they're trying to disentangle them or having to sort through as they get divorced when they maybe should have just not gotten married in the first place or something. So I'm getting a little bit strung out here, but... Yeah. 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 No, I have... I never thought of marriage. Just didn't wasn't on my radar. Never yeah. thought of it till you know I was in my you know mid thirties and till I and I dated girls, but it was never in my. I didn't. I never was like I'm not getting married. Mm. It wasn't that. I just never thought that way. I just wasn't. It just never came in my mind. And there was you know girls. Well, I me dated, neither. <laughs> but there was girls I dated that yeah. you know, um, and for you know some for you know a couple years. Mm. Um, in looking back, saying, looking back, I'm like, wow, I'd never envisioned or thought of it, you know. And so, and I had a lot yeah. of friends, which almost, a, yeah, I have a lot of friends that are not married that are, the numbers are kind of staggering. For, mm. I'm like, wow, I have a lot of friends that never were, mm. um, which I think is um, disproportionate to most people I know is because just a lot of the people I hung out with, they mm. just never did. Um, and um, so... I don't know. I never saw it as, you know, for me as an expectation or a thing. I know some people do. Yeah. Um, I just knew when, you know, I met her that I just want to spend the rest of my life with her. Yeah. So it was, um, but here's the thing is the first five years was rough mm. um, before we got married because I was, you know, still an addict and still mm. dealing with stuff. And if we would have got married when I was 22 or something, it wouldn't, I mean, I was a train wreck. I yeah, mean, yeah. In, 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 in all honesty, I look back at all of the excess and the things that I did that were supposed to be this freeing and mm. free your mind and, you know, break on through and, and yeah, you yeah. know, cleanse this and doors of perception. And, <laughs> and what, you know, what, it was really, a, it was very selfish. Mm. Like my, me, yeah, I was yeah, a yeah. very selfish person and I was very traumatized and hurt. Mm. And I had things that I went through that, but I looked back and, and, and realized I was very much about taking mm-hmm. um, and yeah, not yeah. not in a way that people would around would maybe feel that way. But, mm. you know, what was what did I you know, I wanted to make sure to get what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I look back and realized he was very, very selfish and, and that mm. was not going to be conducive to being yeah. any kind of relationship. And that's why I never really had, you know, any of consequence. But um mm-hmm. But, you know, then, you know, I'm in a different place now where, so I look back and like, there's no way, there's no way I could have been in, mm-hmm. but um, I just wasn't equipped, didn't have the tools to care about someone more than I cared about myself then. Right. Well, I guess that's what I'm yeah. finding, frankly, is just that, that, yeah, for whatever reason, I wasn't prepared for that. Like, that's kind of my starting point but and it's hard to look in the mirror and go i sucked yeah yeah and i still do i mean there's a lot of things trust me that i have that are just not good where mm-hmm. you you know you wish you didn't act a way a certain way or mm-hmm. you know but um back you know in that time frame man i the thoughts that i had and the things that i read and the things i put in my head were not congruent with any kind of relationship mm. they were very much you know that train of thought the things that i the foundations that i built on mm-hmm. um were not conducive to any kind of relationship. Yeah, they just yeah. weren't. Um, so, um, you know, that if I were thinking that way or, or consuming that type of, you know, 
ideology, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, right, does that right. make sense? Right. So um, I think you know that's you got to kind of take all that into consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's a it's a beautiful thing when it when it's when it when it works. No doubt. And um, yeah. and it's a beautiful thing even when through the struggles. If I can only speak from from mm-hmm. my vantage point, but um, you know, of all the things I've done in my life, my time with my wife is is. I mean, that's where I want to be. I want to spend mm. all my time, you know, most of my time with her, you know. Mm. And so it's, um, so I'm I'm very, very grateful and very, uh, you know, thankful for for that. And we work hard at it, but mm-hmm. I do also understand that it's not, um, relationships aren't easy, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so I feel like of all the things I got in life that I got lucky and hit the lottery and, you know, was I... With my wife, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, um, there's, I'd have to really work hard to screw it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm blessed that way. So. Right. But. Well, it's kind of, it's shitty because, like, I, I want Sydney to be in my life for the rest of my life, too. Like, my ex wife, we're still close, like, friends. And I don't know. Uh, I think I'll probably be thinking about what happened for a long time. Yeah. Because she was really giving, and um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's something. I mean, I drank for six months over it, and <laughs> like tried to figure it out, and that didn't work yeah. that well. So, trying different tracks to figure out. Well, I look, I look back too at some of the you know couple of relationships I had before, and just thought I was just it shouldn't have been in them, mm. and it wasn't fair to them. I didn't know any better at the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. but looking back at what I know now, I'm like, oh, those you know that. I feel like a, a little bit of a shame about mm. it because there was really no forward trajectory that mm-hmm. would, could really happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, at the time I didn't know any better, you yeah. know, but I just was not equipped. And, and I feel a sadness that those girls, I didn't give them what I, what they deserved. It doesn't mean where yeah. they got married or nothing, but yeah. you realize, you know, I realized how crappy I was and working through my trauma and a mm. lot of the stuff. And then they got the brunt of some of it, mm. you know? Mm. So, um, right. But that's, you know, life life lessons mm. you know but the, i think the biggest thing is to be able to look and go yep that i did that and that's mm. you're not going to grow or or you know evolve at all unless you can admit to the things that you've yeah. done wrong yeah yeah you know otherwise you stay stuck in it right so it's hard to face it but it's freedom in it too i guess that's kind of um I'm always interested in thinking about how failure isn't really failure, right? I think we talked about that even over coffee. Might have. Um, but, like, when the bottom fell out of my whole thing, like, I kind of had no choice in some sense but to look at myself. Um, and that's actually, like, right, something... I kind of am on the fence about different things that Jordan Peterson says, but one of the things that I really like that he says is about how you need to look at the monster in the mirror and, like, really take like as critical a look as you can at yourself and take stock of all the fucking gnarly like wounds and scars and it can be really difficult and painful because you want to ignore them and shit but like if you ignore them they fester and then they you don't take care of them and they come back you know worse and usually and um so that's been a big thing and I guess that's been kind of a relief 
to, I don't know where all this pressure came from, I guess, like about feeling, because I talked to my dad even after the divorce and he's like, Phil, I didn't like put the expectation on you to get married. Like we even asked you if it was uh, something that you really wanted to do when you told us that you were going to do it. Um. Mm, dang it. I think it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I just found in my life that almost everything that's went wrong, almost everything that's has been of my own doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um and even the things that have happened that are out of my control that happened to me. Mm. Um, things that, you know, some trauma and things that weren't right and weren't, you know when you were a kid that, or something. Yeah, that I didn't deserve and mm. um even those, um, you know, there's adversity in in life can shape you and it's how you react to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when I reacted, you know, certain ways it was destructive. Mm. And and now I found that, you know, those things actually can be healing. Mm -hmm. You kind of steer into it and 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 look at it and say, mm -hmm. Yep, that's yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it, you know. Yeah. I had a hard time, you know, telling the story at story night about breaking into the house yeah. because only because it's funny and it's, you know, but I've re I I have a sadness about where I was in life. So it's a funny story. But um, as I go through it, I remember and I've had recent loss of friends mm. and realizing, you know, that that in of itself is a funny story. Mm. But the track I was on and, you know, I have a sadness about how lost I was, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but it's funny, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Absurd. Um, but you had to fit. I thought, well, I'll, I'll tell it because, you know. It's the truth, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm a, I I want to be a truth seeker, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's painful right. to be that, right? Because you have to go, you have to look in the mirror, <laughs> right. you know, but well, and there's always like deeper layers too. I like my shit crashed, and then I thought like, okay, here's a great opportunity to figure some stuff out, and like I've been figuring some things out, especially since I quit drinking, <laughs> um, but. I keep finding like deep, deeper problems and bigger problems where it's like, I think that I found like the thing I'm working on, like thinking about why I'm this way. And then I think about it and it's like, well, for example, like I'm hanging out with my girlfriend and we t are fighting about something and then it seems to be some kind of issue I'm having. So I think about it and I even like didn't get mad in the conversation and like managed to excuse myself and, like, went and thought about it and thought that I came back with some really good shit and, like, thoughts to be productive in the conversation so that we can move past it. And it ended up being, like, further bullshit. So, like, it's frustrating to find how deep your shit goes. Like, I, when that happened, I was just like, Sarah, I feel like there's just, like, grand canyons full of shit that I'm finding in my soul. And I'm, like, having to shovel it out. Yeah. Um, and that sucks. And yep. it's, like, probably pretty much an endless process, I think. Um, but it seems important. Very important. Shovel shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very important. That's uh, good imagery, too. Mm. I mean, that's... So what? what's your... If, if you had dream scenario, you know, five years from now, what, you, what you'd be doing, mm. you know, um, as a person, mm -hmm. art... You know, relationship, 
yeah, or yeah. no relationship. Like what what would be a, a place that you're like that's that's a place I would like to be. Mm. What I would in five years or you know next year. Like yeah, what would yeah. be an ideal job? Like what would you be, ideal working scenario be and mm-hmm. relationship scenario? Um, as of now, because those things can shift. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm still figuring out all this stuff about myself, so I don't quite know. But I think it'd be probably art based as far as like business goes, where I could like if I was playing, I could play anywhere. Maybe move to a bigger city, have a chance to travel around, um, probably see multiple people and develop deep relationships with them, um, and. I don't know. Just keep talking to people, I guess. It'd be fun to have, like, a podcast that was, a like, a thing. I think it'd be fun for me to talk for a living more. Um, or or writing. I don't know. I think talking is probably because I'm lazier. It works better. <laughs> but um, I yeah. don't know if it's always lazy because it's an art form of itself, too. Because I had a conversation with a writer last night. Yeah. And, you know, she encouraged me to to write things down on yeah. like my kids stories a couple of years ago yeah so i would try to write them down and so what i would do is i'd go tell them the story and then i'd go but i would just improvise a story each yeah. night and it could yeah. be 15 20 25 minutes and so i would go and write bullet points but i would i knew i was missing little things and it'd be 10 o'clock at night or nine yeah. o'clock at night and so it's not your best memory time yeah. and 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 so i did that for a while and then i started recording them yeah I started recording them and thought, well, because I, I thought, oh, I'll make them into a book sometime for them. Mm. And because uh, right. that'd be cool if they could read, you know. And so I started recording them. And what's interesting about that is I started recording them each night. So now they have like, I think, 125 stories as of today mm. that mm. they can listen to mm. and um, that are all original and probably average 15 to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so um, they have that and they can go back and play whenever they want. Mm. But, um, in that, I was didn't realize what I was doing was I was developing, you know, each night working a craft. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I yeah. was doing, you know, um, I was doing consulting work, and I would work in front of groups two or three times, three times a, a week at, at least, where I'd bring original material and yeah. And so, but what was happening there is it was improvising, and I was letting, I was just being able to freely speak and whatever came yeah. formulate. Yeah. And. I didn't know it, but that was becoming an art form. So when I stepped right. into to, to story night, right. I gave a story and realized, oh, this isn't the first. It's the first time. I've yeah. never sat in, in, in an environment like this, told a story like this. Right. But all of that, you know, and yep, I realized, yep, yep. so I was talking to my friend last night, and, and, I, and I said, well, I do write, because she'll say write. Mm. I said, well, every time you say write, I think of Hemingway bleeding and yeah, yeah. typing away for 15 hours. And I don't do that, so I always say I don't. But what I do is I write things yeah, down, yeah. and then I flesh them out in my head over right, and over. And right. I like to speak them right. more so than flesh them out on paper. On paper, so I'll give my yeah. bullet points. So I think there's it's a long way around to say there's yeah. a there's a it's not, I don't know if it's necessarily being lazy. It's a different discipline. Sure, I think and, that's probably true because I clean all day and think about shit. And so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I realize when my kids like they'll I'll, I'll be like Jip, be quiet, and I'm like. Why am I, I, am I shushing them? And I realize it's because I'm constantly in my head mm. thinking and I realize that I work a lot that way. Yeah, yeah. And so I have to realize that they don't know I'm working when mm. I'm doing the dishes and I'm like, just, just, just. 
because I'm working on a thought or an idea. It just looks like you're standing yeah. doing dishes, Dad. Yeah. yeah. So there's a wax on, wax off yeah, about yeah. that where you're working uh, a craft. So right. I wouldn't minimize that because that may be a path for you. Maybe sure. you have multiple paths. But yeah, um, yeah. I think communication is definitely something that is um, a different discipline than yeah. just writing it down. Yeah. But they can go together and they can right. kind of, the audience is, uh, the same material can change yeah, just a yeah, little yeah. bit. Yeah. You know? Right. So I, w- I would definitely not minimize that and pursue that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's been uh it's been good. What should we've we've uh Do you wanna we went on about a few, haven't we? We do you have anything else you'd like to well to get into or Yes. Yeah. I don't what do I you don't have? know if well, because you mentioned this before and if you don't want to talk about it, obviously that's fine. Um but you indicated that like your partying days have kind of led to your current situation. And uh, I was curious about, like, the nuts and bolts about that, I guess. Because it seems like an important story, like, especially, like, this site that we have is called Waste Division, and we do shit, like, where we smoke weed during our our book club podcast or, like, crack a beer. And so, like, there's a party culture here Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I myself have been, you know, kind of seeing the consequences of that in my personal life. Um, and I think it's like a common thing, right? Like talking about people who are sensitive or artists or whatever, getting sucked into these things because people who are sensitive also are more liable to suffer trauma. And so it makes sense that they would turn to those things after they have had that trauma. Um, and I don't know, it seems like also, you know, there's just like wisdom from a dying man that this seems important and especially if it has that kind of bearing like so i don't know that's a fucking pretty big question i don't know if you want to get into it but i love it okay let me take a quick uh run to the alley yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it's time for a bathroom break sure and then we'll hit that real quick sure cool back from the bathroom break we're back (laughs) this would be a, a perfect um example of of the marriage and the uh, give and take because I was supposed to run a few errands mm. in, uh, for my wife. Mm. And uh, this is one of those times where I hope she gives me a mm. little bit of, of grace. She will. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> I had a few little things like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, but now um, you're talking. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, again, we specific, it was... Uh, it was a big question. It was like yeah, yeah. There was a winded. few things. So, well, basically, I think you were getting to is you know, if, you know, I had a, a past that led to where I'm at now, and yeah. so, you know, when 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 I sat with with the doctor and and you know we, we I'm how I feel I've went through eight rounds of chemo, mm. so I've had fifty six infusions. Mm. And I feel fantastic. Mm-hmm. Not everyone that goes through chemo feels that way. Yeah, like I have no symptoms. I feel fantastic. You know, I have some things where you know. Uh, too much stimulation, too many things at once can kind of get to me. Basically, mm. I'm, I'm good, and so I don't feel sick. Um, I mm. didn't feel sick when I went in, and when you go in and you get this uh, mm. moment of, hey, you got some bruising, we got to check it out, and then the doctor comes in and says, live in the present. You go into a specialist, um, and knowing that that meant that it's, you know, could very well be months, mm. and so. Um, and that's where we are now. So for mm-hmm. those that don't know, so I had I have an MDS, which is, um, um, I just forgot the pronunciation of it, myodysplastic syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, ring sideroblast, SF3B1 
is my subset. So I have blood cancer. And so, um, you know, there is what I have, uh, the chemotherapy they've been doing is just to keep me alive. Mm. So it's, it's life, um, Mm. extending, but not cure. Now Mm. I leave, um, on Monday. Um, and so that's why my wife is wanting me to run errands because we've got a lot to do before Mm. then, Mm. but I'm leaving Monday to, to, uh, Seattle, and we'll start the process of a transplant. And then the transplant mm. would start the 25th. I'll get my ninth round of chemo. And that would be mm. um, a really um, intensive chemo followed by radiation, which, you know, some people do not make it through that. So mm. there's, a, there's, a, there's a mortality rate that happens with that. Mm. And then the transplant. And then, um, oh. and then if the transplant takes, then there's things that can happen after that. So... So we're definitely, you know, this is is one of those. It's a life threatening procedure, mm. but it's also life giving. So mm-hmm. I will die. I'm dying. Yeah, and I have, uh, you know, a, a, you know, very little time. Mm. But this could be the difference, and this could give us a path to life. So it could. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the transplant, if it takes, you know, I, it can be a cure. So, oh shit. So wow. it's it's possible. Yes. And and so, um, I'm dying, but I have a chance. Uh-huh. You know. And hmm. so, um, anyways, but my doctor told me when, when, when I was diagnosed, he said, what is your, um, he said, have you ever, you know, been exposed to, you know, Roundup chemicals? I'm like, mm. basically no. And then he's like, well, have you ever had, he goes, this is something that usually people are in their seventies when they get, um, it's usually, it's hereditary, but it's triggered by something. And so it's rare. Cause I was 47 at the mm. time I was diagnosed. He said, "So you're really young for this." This doesn't. And then he said, "Have you had any?" So he started asking questions. What about you know, you know, drugs, alcohol, those kind of things, lifestyle? And I said, "Yes." And he yes. said, "A little bit." And I said, "Excessively, like, mm. like, um, you know, um, I modeled my life after you know the people that didn't last too long, and so it was drinking and 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 and." consistently, but I would do every kind of drug I could other mm-hmm. than shoot heroin. It was about the only thing I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I would just do as much as I could. And, and if it would have been available, I would have. It just it was never around. True. Um, um, but anyways, because um, that was just my mindset. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so I, my consumption was really, really heavy for 15 years. And, you know, five, six times a week, I like, you know, it was in, and, and I, and I would work at, a, I was a bartender, mm-hmm. so I could drink and party yeah. and, and so I learned to make it part of my lifestyle, and I was a functioning, you know, drug addict and alcoholic. Or and professional, as you even Total thought. professional, yeah. I mean, we could start on a Friday afternoon at noon, start drinking, mm-hmm. close the bars down, mm-hmm. go to party afterwards, you know, then go, you know, you go home, drink until 8 o'clock, and then go to a casino. And this was before we were even doing cocaine. It was just we mm. learned to, like, extend our drunk so we could go wow. and close the bar up the next day. And so we became marathon drinkers yeah. and that wouldn't, you know, they could drink for d- days without getting you drunk You wouldn't even take a nap out. the next day and shit? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. wow. Yeah. You hit your second wind and that was part of the euphoria mm. at the second wind. So it was, it was on purpose. Mm-hmm. It right. was to see how far we could push it. Right, right. And so then when you got powders, it was, mm. well, shoot, yeah, easy because yeah. you're, you you're up. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we did that. Um, so anyways... I, I I was very destructive as as mm. far as my intake and mm. and um, and so when you find out that that's the reason, you know that's the reckoning the the payment of past dues. So now yeah. I am yeah. my family and and is you know paying the price the, of of my excess back then. Mm-hmm. And so if you ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. you know Red has that moment where he 
he's, you know, being paroled for the how many times, and he's done, just done with it. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, I don't, you know, he just basically tells him straight, if I could go back and tell that young kid mm-hmm. not to do what he did, yeah, but you know, like, and don't be dumb, right? But I, I can't, yeah, yeah. And so here I am now. I'm an mm-hmm. old man, mm-hmm. and you know, that's where I'm at. Where you know, I look back and go how stupid the choices I made. Mm-hmm. I see how they came through mm-hmm. trauma. I mm-hmm. see how I feel, but I'm not a victim. And I'm very clear about that mm. is I made those choices. Mm. I made them. And, and so I own it a hundred percent. Now I can go back and say, why did I make them? Mm-hmm. Well, these things happened. Didn't know how to deal with them. Yeah. But you know, it, they were a hundred percent mine. Mm. And so, you know, you look back at that and go, man, was it worth it? And I remember mm. when I was 20, I remember being 21 and, and, and uh, a guy that uh, was at the bar said he was 27. And I remember looking, I'm like, you're 27? Mm. I remember thinking, you're an old man. Mm. I'm like, what are you still doing here? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. And it was funny at that time, you think, you know, any, 30 was, you know, and here I mean, I'm 48, but when you're, you're, you go mm-hmm. 18 to 48 in a heartbeat, next thing, you know, life is a vapor. You're here for a short time. Mm. And, and what seems, like forever at that time i mm-hmm. i thought there's you know i won't even live till i'm that long yeah 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 um now it just seems like you know moments ago mm. and you realize you know how much you're invested in in what you have now with, mm. with me with my family mm-hmm. and so i look back at those decisions very different you know um but you know i think i have a a perspective that has um hopefully value to some people because mm. There's times where people are like, you don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I can talk to drug addicts and alcoholics, and they'll listen to me. Mm. They don't listen to my brother. Yeah, yeah. My brother's successful. He's, you know, got a, a, a family that's, every, he's done everything the right way, built yeah. business, and is always, you know, everything he's done has always been, and he's done it with excellence. Mm-hmm. No one's going to listen to him, mm-hmm. which is crazy. They mm-hmm. listen to me. Yeah, yeah. Because I've done those things. So it's a strange deal um, mm. that I... I went and did all of those things and mm-hmm. I live a very different life now, but mm-hmm. I have explored, I guess I may have similar, uh, um, opinions on certain things that others haven't experienced and they have the opinion. So people will dismiss them because yes. like, you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I chased it and I made it my life. Right. And my life was to be a mad one, mm-hmm. mad to live, mad mm-hmm. to talk, mm-hmm. mad to be saved, desirous yeah. of everything at the same time. And I wanted to burn. Mm-hmm. And, and that was my thing is mm-hmm. I was going to chase what they were chasing. And and so I was fully invested in being a complete, you know, drug addict. But I didn't see it as a drug addict. I was mm-hmm. like exploring. I was like yeah, an yeah. emotional astronaut that was exploring right. the cosmos very romantic yeah drugs yeah. but um but and, and i do understand that i did have a lot of pain and in, in things that i was i didn't know how to deal with certain things and i was I, yeah. you know i was doing it so I, I get that but um you know i look back and and realize you know i would do things like red very differently yeah. than than um, but that's my life experience, you yeah. know, so I'm going to be honest about what I did yeah. and honest about the exploration and why, yeah. but, you know, I also can say I, you know, the ending that a lot of these, you know, Jim Morrison at 27 yeah. and, you know, I idolized, you know, people that lived that style like yeah. Hendrix and Joplin and, right. and that was, you know, or even Kerouac at 48 that was yeah. just devolved into, you know, 
what he was. It was um, I've never seen any of them and and you know finding what they were looking for. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, what you va- what I value now is not the escape; it's the moments, and I want to be in the moments, and I want to yeah. have exchanges with people. Yeah, and I'm here with you now because I want that because I have, you know, uh, a few days until I leave. Yeah, and you know I may not come back. Yeah, and so I have you know my kids want to go to the park and I want to go do that with them today. But you know I think um, I just felt compelled. I was like I'd, I I want to come and, and chat with you and yeah. was interested in the things that you were interested in and mm. and I also you know I realized that a lot of the things I was chasing back then are things that are maybe you and some some people are chasing now and mm-hmm. I think it's there's a cycle to that like I right. said with the bohemians and with yeah. with the beatniks and in you know right with with the drug culture of the 60s there was similarities of people at a certain age looking and seeking things mm-hmm. or or maybe disillusioned with certain aspects of culture mm-hmm. you know right so I resonate with that yeah you know but well, I appreciate you, you know. coming too that's yeah amazing no I, I appreciate the the um you know the invite and and that was the thing is I thought well what I don't know what do I have you know do I have anything that has any value mm. you know and I guess w- usually I end up talking about all the dumb things I did mm-hmm. you know because um I think they're more relatable <laughs> well like you said that's uh, uh that's kind of your uh, shit now like when people want to talk to you it's because you have that bag of real experiences that you had yeah it's kind of weirdly a source of wisdom like all that stupidity now is like that's part of that mistakes right like if you make if you fail then you can look back and see what you did wrong and you can learn from that and there's value in that now that you said it mistakes or stupidity i realize i don't know to to be intellectually honest i don't know that it was because I, I I'll say yeah, but then I'm like no, it wasn't mistakes. Yeah. It wasn't stupidity. I chose it. Yeah, now yeah. it might have been bad choices, but like it didn't f- happen to me. Mm. I laid that path out. Mm. I read things. I saw things. I'm like, this is where I'm going. Right. So now in the middle of it, yes, you make dumb choices like kicking in your neighbor's door. Yes, ah. but it was a very calculated road. Like I knew what I was doing. Right. I was on the road, and right, I right. was going to explore mm-hmm. and and see what you know value was out here and, and yeah. if I was going to find what the, these, you know, what the mystics and the poets, mm-hmm. you know, were were seeking, you know, I was going to be on the road of Dionysus right. and excess and all of that. So it was a very calculated right. road. Like I made the choice, but yes, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, the hard part is the people you hurt along the way. Mm-hmm. I hurt so many people, mm-hmm. hurt so many people and, and, you know, just out of being selfish, mm-hmm. you know, and you can't help it. You can't be a drug addict and alcoholic and not be selfish. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a good one. Like yeah. I was, we had fun and people would always call <laughs> me to go drink with them and stuff. Yeah. But in the end, you realize, you know, that, you know, um, you find out kind of who are your friends when you quit. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. you know, I quit drinking and quit partying, but I would be the designated driver for a while. And then, you realized how all these people that you were really thought were your core mm. once you didn't have that element of drugs and alcohol, they weren't. It didn't matter anymore. They, they, we, and I was like, oh, that's strange. Now, yeah. nothing against, I mean, that's sure. just, you realize what tied you together yeah, yeah. was the high and the drunk more than the camaraderie of some of the others. Or, now, I have, or, a, I have some that we still were friends, but yeah. 
it was definitely a different dynamic. You take the take that element out. That was what tied us together. Right. Or it's like a negative bond, like you're bound together because of your lack, like because you're all lonely kind of thing. I always think about that. Like you wouldn't, you're all there because you don't have any other reason to be there or to be anywhere else yep. pretty much. Like that's kind of the bar, I guess, sometimes yeah. in my mind. Like a bunch of lonely people coming to not, to be lonely together, I yep. guess. Yeah. That's, that's right. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, I got arrested about a year and a half ago and. Oh yeah. And um, I think you told me about that. And it was an accident. Well, not an accident. I'd, I'd gotten a fight and, and they were like 17 years ago, but it hadn't gone off. Right. So I had a charge and I had that moment where I went to to jail knowing this was a warrant from 17 years ago and it was going to go away. And, and I you wasn't weren't at the be, end of your... But I had to go get processed. Yeah. But I, I had that It's a Wonderful Life moment of going in and being processed and going, whoa, this seems like lifetimes ago. Yeah. But remembering it and then seeing the people that were... And there was just happened to be girls that day that were being arrested and, and they were sitting next to me and I had a conversation with one of them and I thought to myself just the same thing as red if i could go back yeah. and, and maybe give a few things that would help cuz i could see the pain right i could see the hurt and i could see that a few little tweaks here and there mm. might you know the one you know we talked a little bit about yeah. you know reading and writing and mm. she seemed interested there and i was like oh if she could focus that way but anyways it um i've lived a really 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 blessed life i mean with all of the the things i mean i've Bless me on what I deserve, and 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 I've had a full life. If I, if you know, if I were you know to only have a few weeks left, then I would I would be fulfilled. I just yeah. would feel like um, I wish I had you know more to give my kids. Yeah, yeah. you know. But um, but I'm not afraid to die, yeah. and I'm um, I don't expect to, but I know it's a possibility. And yeah. and um, and at first I. You, you go through a very... It's a very interesting... I wish I could bottle that first 48 hours when you're like, oh, you're dying. Mm. I wish I could give that to someone and then I wish they could have it and drink it and then go, oh, you don't get the diagnosis, yeah. but you just get a feel what it's like to reassess your life yeah. and to go, okay, what's important? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, walk through that. It's um, because eventually everyone does. Eventually, right. you know, you know, Death makes dust of us all, and eventually you will face mm. that. That's part of the gift of life comes yeah, yeah. the finality. And so, um, mm. you know, I, I would just, I would say ask all the questions, be a critical thinker, mm -hmm. look into things. Uh, don't, you know, just uh, um, don't be afraid of seeking truth. And then when you, when, when you hear truth to accept it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. Um, I guess I have a little follow-up. Sure. Like, so I liked when you went back and you said, I made those decisions. Because um, it's like taking your past self seriously, I guess, and being like, I was doing the best I could or what I thought was the best. But I'm just wondering, like, because you're giving mistake, right, or giving advice about, like, think critically, ask the questions. Presumably, like, you thought you were doing that when you were doing, like, your ruffian like radical days kind of, of pleasure. Like you, did you think you were being really, really critical then? Or like, what was the failure in your best thinking at the time? Like, was it stuff that you can really take responsibility for? Or, and like, this is stuff that I just wonder about, right? Like, like before you know something, you just can't know it. Like, and, and before you're put in a situation where you're made to learn it, you just can't know it. So I don't know. 
Oh man, there's there was a quote at that I can't remember now at that time that hit right on that about basically to paraphrase you you don't know any you know unless you do something oneself you don't know anything yeah. oneself and so I I I I bought into a lot of that and it's just not right. true because there's things that you know my daughter got a burn on her finger because she touched the stove and I told her not to and it's like you know there's certain things that you ha- you do. But there's certain things you can go, hey, if I step out in front of that truck, that's going to hurt. Sure. And so, yes, there's experience, but there was also, you can learn through other people's experiences. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, um... Oh, so is it like a lack of listening? Or like pride or something, maybe? Or for... For the, the larger mistake of, like, those days when you were, Well, like, here's the thing is, I mean, and, and this is where, where most people are, are not as interested in the story, is I grew up in, in the church. yeah. And I grew up with, you know, certain foundation of, of things. And um, so I had trauma in my life that came, you know, that, you know, I was crushed. You know, mm-hmm. my, my, my father who told me I wasn't his son and, and he was drunk and he was in a rage and I hardly ever saw him. And I came to his house what, to pick him up from the bar one night to get him home. Mm-hmm. And I was excited about it because I'm 16. I get to see my dad. Mm at the bar and I got to, mm. you know, and mm. I'd only spent very little time. I mean, we've already talked more yeah. me and you than my dad and I ever did oh. in, in, in one-on-one conversation. Yeah. So what was going to be this moment of kind of me stepping into manhood and going with my older brother to the bar to, and see this mm-hmm. turned, you know, into him, you know, going into a rage and telling me I wasn't his son and mm-hmm. who are you, who that for you? Yeah. You're not my boy. Ouch. Yeah. You're not a Corcoran. Right. This is what a Corcoran looks like. Oh. This is what a Corcoran is. Who the F are you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the and he was, you know, spitting, and he was in a rage, and he was threatening, and he never physically harmed me, but he, you know, made those gestures like he was going to punch me and yeah. things just to... Hmm. And um, I was a very... Came from a very conservative background and had never seen or really heard this kind of language or been around oh. violence, and this was just... Oh. A, and it just, and it was my hero. He mm-hmm. was Clint Eastwood and the coolest guy on the planet and mm. the toughest guy and the, everyone. And all of a sudden his rage is on me. And so it shattered me. And, and I just went, I kind of went off into, I, I felt like I was watching from afar. Yeah. Like I felt like I was watching this happen and I was above it mm. over like just kind of disassociated. Yep. And, and I saw, and then <laughs> there came a point where I finally broke and I started to cry. And he said, you know, who, you know, um, you know, F and cry, baby. Mm-hmm. Corkins don't cry. Just you more. Know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And um, so when it was over, I didn't know what to do with it. And I, and I just stuffed it. Just pretended it didn't have, you know, just. But it was basically a demolition of some kind. Yeah, it was like, an absolute total verbal and yeah. emotional destruction of, yeah. a, of, of, of a, just a really, and I was a soft, yeah. hearted young boy. And, and, and um, it just, destroyed me and and so you know i let that just kind of i just i didn't know what to do with it so i didn't do anything with it and then it just would it became shame and guilt yeah, yeah. And through the years it grew and then it you know i got bitter mm. and i was an athlete and so i would play and i would you know be aggressive in mm. sports and i could channel it that way oh wow yeah and so um so then i think it came out that way but right. i would you know i would go into rages and have you know um anger and 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 things like that and so when i first started to drink even though i was absolutely opposed to it and i grew up going this is not right yeah once i did the first time and got it then all of a sudden it was it was on it was in all a short up. period of time i went from 
from being a non you know drinker to yeah. dropping out of a Division One scholarship and and just hitting the road with my thumb and growing my hair long and going into that and it was it was uh, yeah. a way to to bury that shame right and then you know unfortunately what happened was you know my dad did take me um pick me up at the uh um i got arrested for a, a bar fight and he came and and got me that night and um for the first time i was going to stay at his house and he had this big you know kind of mansion on the hill and and he said you're coming to stay with me hmm. um well he didn't say that he said it through an interpreter. My friend told me, you, you know, he showed up. My dad was, you know, across the way. Dad bailed you out. You're going to stay with him, you know. So I went to get my stuff and then went over to my dad's. And, and I was like, oh, all my life I've wanted to be with him. Yeah. And to have my dad and to be. And now he's bringing me. And um, yeah. he, he brought me a sandwich. And, um, you know, I remember he said, you know, here you go, honey. And then he lay down and we were watching a movie and he started breathing strange and realized he's having a heart attack and uh-huh. he you know I gave him out the mouth and he never came oh came back and that was it and yeah. um and then I was very oh. angry I was like you, yeah. uh, you're nice to me one time and this is what uh, this yeah you know screw you so then I went into a really oh, deep shit. you know um and, and it was very you know because you're dealing with another tr- kind of trauma now yeah. of a yeah. death and then could I have saved him and what I do wrong yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah yeah um and so that really fueled just a heavy, heavy hatred yeah. for myself and a hatred for him. Resentments. And resentments and bitterness and, you know, all of that. Um, so it really fueled it, you know. But um, it came a point where I just had to, you know, um, after 15 years of running yeah. that, it just wasn't, yeah, you know. Um, but, you know, I I remember being in jail in Los Angeles and and that's when I... You know, hundred guys in the in the room with me, and yeah. I got on my knees and I was like, "I'm done living this life. I'm mm. over." Yeah, you know, and I had um, foundational truths, you know, that I knew that I ran from that whole time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I and here's the thing is, you know, people, you know, um, especially when you talk about a biblical worldview, mm. like you don't know, you never. I went into every kind of um, place I could, and and I I. I did everything from trying to channel spirit animals to every kind of religious practice and, and knowing it was in opposition to to what um you know what the what the gospel and what the scripture says. Mm. And and I knew that. And I went mm. through and I went I went headlong into everything. Mm-hmm. And and you know when I came out the other side and and um finally said I'm done with this, you know, um I I made a change. I said, I'm done. I will do whatever you ask me to do. Mm-hmm. And so my life changed at that point. Um, and what was solidified through all of that time is as I explored all of these things for myself, they all came back with the same answers that Jim Morrison got, the same answers, which is destruction. Mm. And so for me, um, mm-hmm. I explored all those things, but I came back to the truths that I knew when I started. Mm-hmm. And it came from a trauma that I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, and if yeah. I would have just... You know, known to just give that to God and say, and, 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 and be done. But I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. You know? I don't know, man. Yeah. That those ifs are weird to me. Like, cause that's something I wonder about just like with my minor thing of like a divorce is like, what if this way, like, what if it would have gone how it went? And like, yeah. I'm all about like 
her personal empowerment and trying to make choices where we can and stuff. But when you look back at stuff and just see how it was set up, even if it's just like a little tiny bit that would have made it go one way or another, it's hard to see like the domino, like if you've envisioned the dominoes falling and, you know, having a split, like the domino had to go the one way. Like there's, if you went back, you just can't see how it would have leaned the other way. So I guess that's what I'm like trying to push on because I think it's like the problem here about like your younger self and like, wishing that you could have done something or thinking that because i don't know i just like whenever i look back at things it just seems like it had to go the way it went yeah and i agree with that and i you can look back and go oh this is where it started yeah oh i'm through that now and this is what i did it's hindsight i could have done that then i didn't know right and i didn't there's no way you could have known that i wasn't like i will not forgive my dad i will not it didn't even dawn on me all i thought all i was consumed with is the thoughts of who I wasn't, what he said, the power of the words, yeah, yeah. the power of the words of a father can be right. damaging and they can be uplifting too. And, well, especially an and, absent father, right? Yeah. If yeah. that's like the only thing. And, and my dad was a fantastic, you know, um, um, success story. Yeah. And those are just a couple moments and it's not fair yeah. to categorize my father as a th- that was true and that was my experience. Sure. But that doesn't encompass him. He did so many things for so many people and those are weaknesses of his yeah. That happened at a time that I got, um, and now I know the stories that he was hearing all these things from mm. other people that I w- oh. that I was in his kid and I was somebody else's and all oh. and so you get all of the backstory and all right. the things. Right, it right. doesn't make it right. Right. And and then I realized though when when he came and and took me in that night that was his way of saying I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. I didn't get it at the oh. time. At the time I you was like, it screw you, opposite. like you died. Yeah, yeah. The, I didn't even get to sp- unpack my bags. Right. And so, um, but later on, I realized what I was so mad about was actually one of the most beautiful moments of my life because when he gave me a sandwich and he made it for me and said, here you go, honey, that was him saying, I'm sorry. You're I my knew son. what I did was wrong and, yeah. and you are my son. Yeah. But I didn't see it at the time because I, I was so in the trauma of watching yeah. your father die and yeah, being yeah. a part of and, and And the fact that, you know, there was other circumstances that made me feel somewhat guilty and... and in mm. um, you know, not being able to remember exactly what I did. Did I help him right away? Mm. All these things I did yeah, get him yeah. out because you know, he died. He um, he lived, went to the hospital, but he didn't make it. Yeah, he was a- alive. You know, they kept him alive, but he was brain dead, so he didn't get oxygen to his brain. So then you're like, did I not do mouth to mouth correctly or right. quick enough? And I had some. All of those kind of things. So, you know, right. just a lot of trauma. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so, um, but I love my dad. My dad is, um, you know, you know, my middle name is Edward. And my mm. s- my, my boys are, you know, Gideon Lee Edward mm. Corcoran and Josiah David Edward Corcoran. My dad's mm. Ed Corcoran. And mm-hmm. so I've named my kids after him and, and I love my dad. Mm. So that just was, you know, a, a couple of bad moments, uh, you know, for him, that mm-hmm. one bad moment was enough to shape, you know, my life and and so right. well so i guess i'm wondering why you hold you would hold yourself responsible for those decisions and like not your dad for example like why wouldn't that be something that we would hold your dad accountable for if like your decisions about like chemical use you're holding yourself accountable for yeah does that make sense where i'm seeing a problem kind of well or? i mean to me um 
for one, I got to see the dangers of yeah. of of that. Mm-hmm. I knew it. Oh. I was an athlete. I'd seen it, and I, sure. and I and I made the choice, and I made it through a lot of the things I read, a lot of the things I did, and I knew yeah, it was yeah. opposed to 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 truth. Sure, um, that I hold. Mm. You know, I'm I I am I am, uh, you know, um, I would I'm what they would call the fundamentalist, the mm-hmm. one that most people would look at and go. Intellectually, we can't even have a conversation mm-hmm. with you because you believe in the truths of, of Scripture. Right, right. You know, and so I would be dismissed as, as someone that's not a critical thinker yep, or someone yep. that hasn't explored. Right, right. But, you know, um, but I have. And, um, and so the truths that I knew then that I challenged and, and, and did everything to oppose, mm-hmm. everything against Christianity, everything against all of the things that I had, had known mm. um, when I ended up getting free of all that those were exactly the answers that got yeah. me free and i yeah. chose not to and i knew and i did it um um calculated yeah in, as a you know f you to a to, satanic gesture kind of yeah, yeah very much so yeah. i mean i i dressed up as you know had long hair i dressed up yeah. as jesus halloween for the for the blasphemy yeah, yeah i wanted yeah. the blasphemy to say you know um, and I knew it when I did it, and so right, right, so right. I knew the things I was doing and what I was right. engaging in, very calculated. Was I, I? I was not, um, you know, but um, yeah. I found out, you know, I explored them as far as I could and and found nothing but you know, but pain and 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 destruction and yeah for other people too. I heard yeah. a lot of people along the way, um, yeah, and then yeah. you know found freedom out you know outside of that through forgiveness and realizing the simple. When you said the canyon and the lifelong process of, of cleaning it out, uh-huh. you know, that's a base of what scripture says is yeah. that, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, that everybody, you know, they're none righteous. No, not one. All your, all your, um, you know, your greatest works, you know, is like filthy rags. The best thing you have to offer yeah. is, is crap according to God's yeah, law yeah. because God is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. And anything that's not that yeah, yeah. is the other, and therefore, you know, in right. the biblical sense, you are constantly. Mm. There's no way that you can clean yourself up or clean out the mm. thing, and that's the story of the gospel, sure. where God sent Himself, mm. and that He took that on Himself. Mm. So, um, you know that that's where you know the f- freedom for me um, was found, and it was quick, and I was out of addictions like this. Mm. And, and it's funny, people. So I had a, you know, went to AA and. Because I had to, because of uh, arrest, court stuff. But I was like, I'm going to stand up every time and say something because mm. I wanted to be done with it. It'd been 15 years of mm. long marathon mm. of of addictions, mm-hmm. and so I did that. And um, I remember um, I had a, a gym, a mixed martial mixed martial arts gym in Los Angeles downtown, yeah. and we worked with fighters. and And um, I had a a guy from the uh, a, a church that want to come in and do celebrate recovery. Mm. And it was a place where they come and they get, in, you know, but it's faith-based. Yeah. yeah. And so I had went through like five or six months of going to the court ordered. And then I was out. Yeah. And I remember he said, well, come. And so I sat down and I remember I was about to say a story. Cause that's your deal is you go around and you tell some terrible story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'd done that, but I realized that this, it was only four, maybe three months into mm-hmm. sobriety mm-hmm. after 15 years of a heavy addictions. And, um, I remember it came around to me and I felt like this isn't right. Like I shouldn't be here speaking th- about this. And so I, I, you know, I, I told him, I said, you know, I said, I'm not an 
addict or an alcoholic, you know, oh. I'm free of that. And huh. I said, you know, the, here's the deal. It's easy for me. Yeah. And I, and I know that sounds crazy for someone three months in. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, you know, it's simple. As long as I, as, as long as I walk um, with God, I'm good. If I ever walk away from that, these addictions will emerge again. Mm. But I said, you know, for me, um, I'm free of that. And I haven't changed that since. And it's, and, mm-hmm. and I was quickly, free of of all addictions you know and yeah, have yeah. been since and i can be around it and it doesn't bother me it's right. not a and i was a highly functioning addict yeah like yeah, i yeah. was consuming non-stop yeah yeah so it was quick and it was you know and and it was easy and i just moved and it wasn't anything i did it was just that submission yeah you know yeah, yeah. so i'm the nerd jesus guy you know sure. that that um um but it's you know the the truth of my life and that's what where my freedom came yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Um but I did explore. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I say that is because I did that no having a certain base fundamental um belief system and said, Nope, I'm gonna go do all of these things and yeah. and then when I came back that was where the freedom came. So yeah, that's yeah. why I, I hold myself t- responsible sure. for that. Because it wasn't like new knowledge came yeah, later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You looked out over that way and you saw some shit that was over there and you're like, ah, I'm gonna go anyway i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna full force indulge in that to the you know so um yeah that's the uh that's the path that i I took and and so um so it's funny when people are on it it's it's hard to go all i think you can do is share like your story of what you know and what you've experienced and if someone can glean something from that right you know yeah um but you know i don't know if anyone would have tried to stop me i was pretty yeah set on going and experiencing and doing you know but it, it did yeah. i will say it ended up being all empty mm. and that's you know mm. and i see what i have with my with my kids and mm-hmm. it's geeky it's nerdy mm-hmm. i got mm-hmm. the my wife's minivan out front that she just that i'm driving and yeah, with yeah. bull market in it <laughs> <laughs> i thought isn't this hilarious because did my you car, that? well yeah I did, on the way over and the reason my car the battery it died, yeah. and then when it came up, I couldn't. I'm so I'm oh. so terrible with tech. I couldn't get my my uh, CD my CD my radio to play. Yeah, yeah. And so then we got rid of that and just got this new. <laughs> so I'm in her vehicle. Was, oh, I her think. new vehicle. And I got the. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, I got a. I can now play. <laughs> so I had I put bull market on the way over, and I thought, isn't this funny? Here I am in this this beautiful blue. <laughs> That's wonderful. You know. <laughs> Brand new dad van, dad van, and um, <laughs> and listen to Bull Market, and it was, it was like, ah, look at the difference in in you. Just look back at life and go, yeah, how yeah. funny that would right. be to me at twenty one, right, right, right. You know, that's awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah. But life's a beautiful thing, and it's a gift, and it's short. Yeah, it's so short, and it happens in a blink. And when you're twenty one, you won't think that. Or you're 25, yeah. but man, I was 20 yesterday, right. and, and I'm 48 today, and I'll either be dead by the first of May, or I'll be living, yeah, and and I'll be 68 tomorrow, and right. then it's you know it's just it's so quick, yeah. So you know life's a beautiful ride, man, and I think you want to embrace it and and seek out the beauty and, and seek out truth, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. Like right. I said, I'm the Jesus nerd. You yeah, know, yeah. I'm John 14:6. Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me." So that to me <laughs> is the path to life and truth. Yeah. And um, I just I think that no matter what I did, because that's what I grew up. And people say, "Well, that's what you grew up with." Yeah. I went and looked into every every you know mystical kind of yeah 
thing I could. I went into, you know, every, every, everything. I went into any kind of um, spiritual practice and I experienced and looked into, to it, you know, from Mm -hmm. everything, you know, so um, I explored and and have looked and, and so I, I, I just think that it's seek out truth. Yeah. Don't be afraid when you see it that, you know, to, to step into it. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't want to take up more of your time, Don. Um, I have way more thoughts and shit. I we probably talk for a long time, but well, if I live, maybe <laughs> we'll do this again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would love so. to if if you are. And I think it's it, truly because um, I think it's valuable because uh, you know um, I think there's certain certain things that you're interested in. Yeah, that I'm interested in, but we definitely have different thoughts on some very you know, uh, important worldviews yeah. that most people don't get together and talk. I'm like, yeah. that's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, let, I think it's a beautiful thing. I can learn from you. Yeah. I've learned in life that I can learn from anybody. Right. I've learned and used and taught things that I learned from seven-year-olds to leadership, you oh, know, yeah. in, in, in <laughs> consulting because there's just, there's wisdom and there's, there's um, yeah. beauty in so many places. Yeah, yeah. And so I appreciate you opening up your your home and let me look through your books. Yeah, yeah. And you know, ask you very, you know, difficult question. Yeah. That I didn't realize how difficult it was when I asked. So thanks for being oh, no, yeah. brave enough to yeah. allow someone in your home to say, "Hey, that thing that hurts really, really bad." <laughs> that you know, I'm still trying to work through. Yeah. Thanks for just, you know, tabling that. <laughs> no, that's kind of what what I I think this is what it's for. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate just, that. That shows a lot of courage and bravery to. to mm. To go, I'm going to explore that mm-hmm. with people. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, man. Totally. Well, thank you so much. All right, that's a wrap. That's it. We'll see you um, in uh, at Montana Gallery. I had the date wrong last time. August 13th, if I live. If wow. I die, they will be there. No, August 12th. 12th or 13th, second, second <laughs> Tuesday of the month. So um, I, I expect uh, to be there and hope to see you there. Hell yeah. And if not... Um, this is goodbye. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> Check you later. I, I always ask anybody if they have any last words at the end of the interview. <laughs> I have some last a, words. It seems like a sick joke now. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Goodbye. Well, that does it for another episode of the Waste Books Appendices. Um, be on the lookout for Waste Radio, where this will hopefully start to make more sense. Um, thanks again to Don Corcoran for his time uh, and for talking to me. It was really a pleasure. Um, and also, uh, previously on a version of this episode, we had different music. Um, it was copyrighted, which I was not aware was such an offense. Um, so I had to get back to Don and ask him for a uh, different, uh, different music request because I had asked him before what he wanted. And this time he gave me, uh, because we had to do it from people we know who won't sue us or whatever um, record companies do, uh, copyright companies do. Um, he gave me a couple of our friends. and uh, Well, actually, some of my shit. 
two that he wanted to have on there. So the first song in the intro was uh, Newborn by Grant Jones. You can get that on his album uh, from Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get music, probably. Uh, the album, uh, excuse me, the album is called Nighttime Friends. And then this track is called Invested by my band Bull Market. Okay, we'll see you next time.